0: Hello and welcome to episode 281 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 8th of May 2019. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And Alex Wiltshire. Hello. 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 Um I want to take a nice gentle relaxing start to this podcast mm. to explain, um some, some, some lovely changes, uh, to PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds <laughs> in, in China. Quite liked this and obviously maybe you know there's some broader sort of businessy reasonings and and you know sort of uh, reasons why this has happened but the outcome is as we were just discussing before we started recording kind of nice uh so uh PUBG Mobile in China has been closed um and relaunched as I think Game for Peace is is its title yeah wow um which i think (laughs) now and and it's uh uh, you know part of this is it has a a more a more uh, patriotic cast um Mm. and it explicitly pays tribute i think to the chinese air force um um but um in the and 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 it is the same game broadly to the extent that uh, players progress just transfers over from PUBG, so (laughs) um but the the flagship change, uh, in addition to no blood or, or gore, um, is that when when killed in PUBG now, players fall down, stand up. Wave goodbye and leave.
1: <laughs> they, they present you with a loot box first, yeah, Oh, really? The, yeah. So little, you get that stuff. present. <laughs> so you're not even stealing it from them. They actually wanted you to have it before they left. Don't they? There's a sort of smile as well. It's like,
2: mm. Mm, thank but you. But it's
1: like the clip I saw was like the guy's crawling on his hands and knees before he does this, presumably in some kind of like wounded state. <laughs> but then, like the last minute, present loot box, thumbs up, <laughs> wave, disappear.
2: So, by games for peace, does that mean? that when you shoot somebody you're kind of getting them to be peaceful Mm. player unharmed happy grounds
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's the name they should have gone with
0: I just think it's quite, I would, um, given that really it is a cosmetic change, I would, I would welcome this as a toggle in maybe all games.
3: Yeah.
1: Including <laughs> <Yeah>. Mortal Kombat.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, especially they, yeah, farewells especially instead something. of fatalities. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, you know, they, they, I think they've, they brought back mercy into Mortal Kombat, but I don't know if they brought back, you know, babalities or animalities <laughs> or any of the other novelty alities um, that they used to have. But um yeah, I just want the. You know what? Actually, I don't wish you ill. Button, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> finish him. Are you all right? <laughs> that looked like it hurt. Would you like a cup of tea? Let's go again. Goodbye, Sub Zero.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love that. I think you know, you know, I, you know, I have no you know, ill will to dispose towards this, simply because it's quite sweet.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's backed by. A fundamentally terrifying kind of edict. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is.
0: Um, And and there's obviously a, a like a, a sort of a censorious apparatus there that makes something like this actually happen. But as a way of implementing it,
2: I you, sort you of, work with you work with what you got. Yeah, yeah.
0: as a way of implementing it, I kind of do wish all games could have this title. <laughs> you know, because like there's not really any good reason why Call of Duty needs to be an 18 in order to furnish the experience <laughs> that it furnishes, right? like and kids play it anyway so let's take that as the logic right like kids will play call of duty parents will buy call of duty for their kids call of duty will re- remain an 18 rated game why not just take out the 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 blood and gore and things and replace it with the little ooh, good job goodbye
2: was <laughs> what was that doom game doom like game that was but like i think if you may have been noah shooting animals <laughs> <laughs> but of course you weren't shooting well, uh, animals but you were obviously that's what you were doing arc I don't know. survival evolved <laughs> but it was a it was yeah it was a it was a bible game i can't remember what it was called and i don't know what the thematic device being used for the so in mini
1: ninjas by the hitman folks funnily enough uh you are fighting like enemy samurais and stuff but uh when you defeat them Uh, you do enough damage to them, they turn back into the forest animals they were all along. And actually there are forest (laughs) animals trapped in the, in the... (laughs) Uh, the That that is
0: the old Sonic trick, right? Like the robots in Sonic are piloted by commandeered squirrels and (laughs) and shit. (laughs) So you got to crack them open.
1: Are the squirrels... So when you rescue the squirrels, they're like good squirrels? They they scamper away, yeah. And then at the end... I think they've
2: been entrapped within tombs. Yeah. But is the squirrel controlling the robot? That's the question. I think
0: it's more like (laughs) powering the the robot. Like, it's like really, really... (laughs) Oh, it's like a treadmill. (laughs) Sonic was like the Matrix before the Matrix, right? In the Matrix, they take all the people, they put them in weird baths Um. and... They, you know, plug them into the Matrix to use them as batteries. Does that make sense? No, not at all. <laughs> it would make more sense to put a person in every individual robot to act as a battery. Would that work either? No. Um, very
2: little of this was they in understood. the Sonic Um, cutscene. Introductory cutscene.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and very little of this was in the Sonic movie trailer, actually. Um, <laughs> oh. uh, You know, I mean, there's many, many things wrong with it. Well, and- they're
2: not... Appreciate and respect the, the, the core. <laughs> the integrity of
1: Obviously coherent and very cool original design. <laughs> yeah,
0: You know, Jim Carrey needs a big fucking box with a huge yellow button on the top of it. And when you smack that button, the sides fall away and it's just full of fucking chipmunks. If that doesn't happen, then, um, I, I think they've, they've chosen the wrong aspects of the license essentially, yeah, or at some point in that someone's got to capture uh, James Marsden and stuff him inside a robot and then.
2: I do go on. I, I want well, to know more. <laughs> I would say it's, you know, it's, it's,
0: um, there's a, there's a rule with James Marsden performances in, in films in which, and and in TV, including Westworld, where, um, James Marsden must either die or be cuckolded in every film he's in <laughs> or both. How oh, is he like? He the, was Cyclops and X-Men just to be yeah.
1: in, in, uh, Westworld. Is he the sort of pseudo hero character who he turns
0: out he's uh like Dolores's beau. he's the ca- yeah, he's the yeah. he's the the would-be John Marsden of Westworld yeah. <laughs> yeah he plays the he plays the protagonist looking man who is then overshadowed by the actual protagonist of the thing yeah. so in many ways actually maybe the Sonic movie is just a retread of the Brian Singer X-Men film but <laughs> instead of Wolverine it's Sonic <laughs> 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 uh good good um what other news was there
2: oh there was a slightly sort of sad news about that um that danish studio what done Mm. the echo game
1: ultra ultra um yeah i wanted to mention this they have shut down um and i uh, did eventually get around to playing echo which is this game that um it's a stealth game where all of the enemies are clones of you or copies of you in some sense and you are hiding from them in this kind of almost limitless palace. Like it's all one giant palace. Um and the power keeps going out. And every mm. time the power goes out, everyone kind of resets. Like all the enemies kind of wake up again. And uh their abilities are determined by what you did in the last cycle. Like each kind of cycle of the power. Uh they they're able to learn from you. Basically it's like the palace is trying to imitate you in some way. They're trying to like make a copy of you. But it can't get you quite right. And so it can only copy things you've done in the last like recently so it's a really interesting idea and i played it finally like um a month ago and i'm not that surprised that uh the studio encountered difficulties because it seems incredibly expensively made and a super high concept that's very weird and you know it took me a while to explain it um just now and then it also the game itself doesn't get to that for like an hour and a half to two hours. The first hour and a half to two hours is just like a really expensively made like sci-fi movie almost. It is, you're walking around, uh, you're in control, but you're just exploring this place and just trying to understand what it is and, and just going down endless corridors and um, it's huge, spectacular vistas and stuff that's really, seems really expensive to make. And you're learning slowly about what this thing is and how it works and there's all this backstory about the culture you come from and this weird AI who's kind of a jerk to you. Um, and... Then, like, you know, nearly two hours in, it gets to the actual stealth game where these things are learning from you. And even then, I've only just got to, like, the very beginning of that. And so it's, a, like, it's such a weird game because if if you're in it for this interesting mechanic, which I was, this stuff feels like kind of a an annoying delay, but it's also really expensive to produce. If you're in it for a big cinematic experience, it's going to be weird that it feels like a lavish opening to a psycho film, but then it's never, as far as I know... I don't think you ever get out of the palace. I think don't think you ever encounter anyone who isn't just you again, which is a very stripped down sort of indie type um mm-hmm. concept where you keep the asset budget low by just having this one area. So it almost feels like in some ways the the <laughs> I won't say the worst of both worlds, but the least wise of both worlds, <laughs> where like the high concept weird mechanic buried in a lot of very lavish cinematic stuff, um in a way that I I almost the idea is. There's something there. It could work, but it's spoiled for me just because the checkpointing is really bad. And when you, if you get caught by any of these enemies, it goes into like a button mashing quick time event. And it's basically over because even though you can win that if there's only one of them, while it's happening, another one will wander over. And as soon as they touch you, it's just fully game over. And even though it's got this mechanic of everything resetting and they get to kind of wake up again, like if you take them out, they get back up every time it resets that doesn't apply to you so when you get taken out you just wherever the the plot last quick saved or sorry last checkpointed there is no quick save um and for me that's like 7 minutes of traversal before i get to the actual fight that i died in and that's happened to me like 3 times and i'm just done with it now i just I don't have that kind of time and like stealth games you fail a lot like that's kind of the how you learn yeah exactly yeah. you experiment you try things and they don't work out and the penalty for failing is so harsh that it just ruins all of the interesting stuff it's doing unfortunately
2: and does that kind of uh, did you feel that that uh you know the ai responds to what you do affected your choices because you don't oh i don't want to do this thing because and
1: it might have been getting to that but it the, the bit that i played is just starting to introduce that like the characters you and your ai have not figured that out yet they're, they're sort of saying oh it's almost as if maybe the Palace is paying attention in some way to what I'm doing but they like it hasn't developed enough to the point that even the characters have acknowledged that it's happening. Um so it hasn't got interesting yet like it's very much the tutorial sections where you go through a huge long section where there's loads of enemies but they're all behind doors and they can't open the doors and it's leading towards a bit where you open a door and then the next cycle all of them come out of those doors because they can open them which is a cool kind of moment. Uh, but that's it. I haven't got to a bit where like a freeform bit where I'm actually have to think about whether or not I open a door and um, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I can uh eat grapes because <laughs> <laughs> there's a palace, like one of the only interactive things in the scenery is just like these um <laughs> bowls of grapes. And if you eat them, that's one of the things the palace notices about you. Like every time you do something, it notices it creates a silhouette so you know what it's paying attention to. And I think, I haven't seen it come up, but I think that means, I think it's actually like a mechanic because if you eat the grapes, it means on the next cycle, the enemy will stop to eat the grapes, which might like slow them down and give you an opportunity to slip by them and stuff.
2: Because mm, cool. <laughs> huh. it's the it's a sort of digital kind of baroque kind of endlessly recursive bizarre yeah. baroque kind of palissy. Yeah, environment it's
1: not like. a simulation. At least in the fiction of the thing, obviously <laughs> it is. <laughs> <but> <laughs> it is real. <laughs> It and actually me, this palace. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's so expensive to make that to just build yeah, you had planet. to go to
2: Vienna to do it
1: it feels ripe for a kind of like oh it's all an AI simulation and it's being generated on the fly I mean maybe that's a late game plot twist or something but uh, there's been no hint of that so far it's like you literally land on this planet and you're trying to understand why is there this vast palace thing that goes on forever
2: hmm, hmm. I
1: hadn't heard of it at all
0: until you just hmm. introduced it I remember the screenshots
2: because you... cause it, it does screenshot very well yeah yeah, it's not it's, that I played it. <laughs> the,
1: the name, I guess, when you once you kind of fully understand the mechanic, the name does like link up to it in some specific way. But by itself, the name is super generic, and I just think you yeah. forget what it is. Hmm. Shame that it
0: underperformed to the extent that this has been the fate of the studio. Yeah, around.
1: I don't know if the, if the things I've that I noticed about it are the actual reasons, but I, I can't imagine it helped. Hmm.
0: Yeah, shame. Genuinely sounds cool. Although, yeah, I, so actually to, to distill that, would you actually recommend it?
1: I only if what I said sounds good to you. (laughs) I guess no, because the, for me, the checkpointing thing is just such a big problem that I'm not going to progress with it and I won't get to the interesting mechanical stuff. I was starting to, I I got to see enough of it to see, oh yeah, this is, I like this idea, but uh, I don't have the patience to get into the meat of it. And so I guess no, but. To be honest, like if you get it super cheap in a sale or something, it's uh and you like uh like sci fi movies where they land on a weird planet and walk around it trying to figure out what it is, the first hour and a half of it is that and it's it's a good version of that.
0: Hmm. hmm. What you've been playing,
2: Alex? I went back to um Total War Hammer, Warhammer Two. Two,
0: <laughs> two war to total to hammer. <laughs> uh
2: I've like I really I really like it but I'm very 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 bad at it so I've had a sort of slightly sort of self-abusive relationship (laughs) with it where ever since it and the the first game came out I've started so many campaigns and Mm -hmm. played them up to a certain point I think it's the same pattern every time and it might it'll take one hour it might take ten hours but I'll face my first kind of defeat and I'll just find my motivation just fall away completely Mm, the XCOM problem and i don't know what it is why why i feel that why my motivation is it because i don't understand why you know why i got defeated are you you getting
1: defeated in like the real-time battle
2: no well usually you know it's always as a result of campaign stuff you know like oh you know i there's a massive army and all my other armies over there um but i just love the concept and i you know i love warhammer and i just just want to play it a lot i've also played with my son and you know he Mm. plays together and he loves that loves that shit
0: are you playing the the new expansion no
2: i'm not i but i was inspired by so sort of i think that this is my most successful run so far and it's Mm. with skaven Mm. it's with my um, favorite one it's with the the main i should fucking head taker -taker. (laughs) um uh who is a fighty Skaven, as opposed to a uh, technological Skaven or a magic Skaven, um, but I was inspired by watching um, a YouTuber run of the Kick Claw, mm. which is a the new character that's just, just yeah. come out, who's just fucking awesome. Just really fun, kind of looking. Got a little painted icky claw there. Oh, have you? You yeah. have to inspect this in a minute. We, we are but arrayed you, with wonderful little models. But then you didn't play us then? No, so I, I went back because I, I needed to just remember stuff. Just, just <laughs> yeah. Kind of, I wanted to play, you know, just, let's just go back. Let's go back. <laughs> um, and it's been really fucking successful and I've had a really, really, really good time with it. And I, actually really want to be playing it right now <laughs> it's one of those things and i just spat, felt hours just just drop away the only problem is that my son is very upset with me for playing him <laughs> playing when i'm like last night at half nine i had to tell him to go to bed and he said okay when you switch off and i said <laughs> i can't switch off You've <laughs> got to go to bed <laughs> and he was not happy about this um but like, it's just, um, one of the things I'm really enjoying about it is how they've, uh, turned you, I don't know if you've talked about this on the pod before, but how they've used the law in such mm. good ways. Um, yeah. So Skaven obviously are these horrific giant man like rats. rats um which live in ruins and under cities and you don't know that you're nobody knows there are, there's such an incredibly large infestation of the infestation of them and at any point they are about to break out and just take over mm. the entire world and uh and they are nasty and compete with each other uh they feed each other to their gods they just sort of they have slaves rats that work for them they're pretty reprehensible and there's they're a lot of fucking fun mm. and they um what i've been really enjoying are the ways that um warhammer like the Talk to talk- war game reflects these attributes mm. um there are so one of my favorite things that i'm kind of coming across that they can build Uh, an under empire which so normally in total war in order to get a um a city uh you know to make money you have to get cities and build stuff in them and you know that will generate currency for you and you can set up armies in these places but with the skaven and also vampire coast which Mm. have a similar uh, mechanic you can set up uh, an under empire which means sending out a specific type of um hero out called a, a warlock engineer uh to a city and um, one that maybe is making loads of money, or maybe they're a city you want to take over and you can spend an action with them uh, setting up and under, and, and you can build buildings in that city, <laughs> underneath the city, four slots. But then there's a little kind of um, discoverability element to it. Yeah. So the more powerful the building, the more discoverability points. If you get to a hundred, it will be discovered. Hmm. Um, so there are other buildings that reduce that. While giving fewer good Mm. effects, so you've got to balance what you want. But one of those cities and one one of those buildings, and the most like the the pinnacle one, is called the Vermintide, and this uh, allows you to, when that building finishes construction. It basically bursts and an <laughs> army, a full army of Skaven appears in the city ready for you to command in battle without that. And the, you know, that, the Are they like inside city. the city walls, uh, no, that it will be, I imagine it'll just be an it'll be just positioned at the city and you'll have to presumably take, the you city. might do
0: an inner city battle because there are quite do, a lot yeah. of maps for that.
2: Might but- do. Yeah. I don't know. That's a really good. Interesting question actually. Cause you would, you'd think you'd be inside the walls. Mm. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I need to do that now, <laughs> but basically there's a really nice idea like i haven 't got to a stage where I need to do this at this point but but um there will be some sticky characters like the like Nagarond are the joint head of the of the joint the head of the game with me at the moment, mm. and I know I will probably have to take out their their their, their capital city with a an under empire kind of vermin-tied attack but that's really that 's really cool there's this um food. Uh, mechanic where this is a a race that just it's just so much biomass that needs to be fed uh that you have to also collect food for your empire as as, as well as money mm. the food is constantly ticking down and you've, there are many ways to get food but when your food supply goes down everybody starts revolting you know your city starts revolting against you and you know you you lose public order you public, lose growth as as cities start to starve and that's kind of a nice thing. And the last one is they have a form of very specific corruption. Like there's a chaos corruption as well and vampiric corruption. The Skaven corruption um uh isn't particularly good. Well it is kind of good for you because as a player because uh as corruption increases, basically they're filthy rats and they make the everywhere they go really nasty places covered in rat shit and things like that i guess and kind of rubbish and um uh the longer you are somewhere settled somewhere the the greater the corruption in the area and that reduces public order presumably the normal people that also presumably live in your cities mm. This is something i really struggle with in the, the warhammer the total warhammer games where presumably when you take over a city it's still peopled by the people not in total
0: warhammer because there, ra- there are also rats. restrictions on who can take what cities as that's well. true that's so true. like you know and also like a lot of the skaven one of the, the other skaven mechanics is they can build a city in a ruin yeah and it's not visible as a city that's to the true. other factions until they discover that oh shit it's actually so does a that skaven. mean
2: the skaven don't like the mess they make either it, presumably it does
0: yeah. I mean that's the thing about and That's why I, I you know, the great thing about them is they have a sort of pathos. There's a sort of like we fucked it up for ourselves as well. We can't stop fucking it up.
2: <laughs> but let's keep going. But the only though. way is forwards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so you get these public order issues, but you get the the greater the the amount of um corruption, you get more menace from below. And this is like <laughs> So so the men from below is uh so the skaven when you take them into battles um they are very numerous so they have very large groups of 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 you have lots of uh individual fighters in any unit of swords rats or clan rats, and skaven, rats slaves. and skaven slaves and whatnot. and um, whatnot. Uh, but they none of them are very strong they're very fast, but none of them are very strong and they tend to run away quickly. Mm. Also, of-
0: fun fact, they get faster when they run away.
2: They do. And that's, that's <laughs> a, like, that becomes an important part of the strategy. Like a yep. good thing is taking in your lowest, very, very cheapest, then they are incredibly cheap, um, units, Skaven slaves, bait your enemy in with them. And then your Skaven slaves run, the enemy r- runs after them. And then you get swords, clan rats. To storm kind of pile in
1: from, the, yeah. from the sides and back. It's really the Bard and arch attack. I thing. was going to say, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: it just reminded me that like my favorite, like, cause I, 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 so are you playing Mortal Empires or the... No, just
2: the, just campaign. The campaign? I have, I did have a Mortal Empires run on the go. So, but-
0: Mortal Empires is the one where you just load a faction into the full World of Warhammer, which stitches together Total Warhammer 1 and 2. The, but yeah, so, Skaven is the only one I finished the campaign with. Um but my, my enti- my favorite victory in that entire run was, um an ambush victory and an ambush sorry an ambush battle and an ambush battle the idea is you've kind of caught the enemy on the march so they are forced to deploy in a column like as if the army is marching somewhere and you can deploy however you like
2: on both sides of them
0: yeah on both sides of them but I chose to deploy just on one side of them with, I think, 18 warp lightning cannons <laughs> and just skaven slaves in front of them, which is bard and archers. <laughs> um, it's just bard versus lightning <laughs> lightning railgun. And it was um, dark elves, but those of like, obviously, just the spearmen and stuff. And then, like, one sort of dark elf, like, high lord on dragon, like, at the back. <laughs> because you can sort of like instantly pause and queue an order before they fire the favourite thing was like everyone charging these Skaven Slaves and it being a big mess and then 18 warp lightning cannons firing at the same dragon at the same time <laughs> and killing him instantly it was great It's oh, the best thing and beautiful. like that's why I love the Warhammer Total War games so much is they they bend that yeah. the formula of what's acceptable or possible in Total War game and just encourage you to break it really because it's like
2: yeah, like the, it's the, number of, right? the number of kind of uh sort of functions you have at your fingertips anytime is great yeah but the, the weakness of the Skaven, uh, really can be pretty terrifying it's because you're particularly, particularly at the start of the game, you're really susceptible to cavalry and you're really susceptible to enemy missile, like arrow, arrow kind of ranged attacks yeah. because you don't get ranged attacks really until probably about I don't know an, an hour in or so. Like
0: you get like slings and stuff, but
2: they're not that's great. Like you don't even have them right at the very start. No, yeah. right? Yeah, got to run his computer later, right? Yeah, so, that's yeah. right.
1: But do um, you ever get like the ability to ride larger rats for your cavalry? You get to um,
2: <laughs> uh, to, to, to ride Doom. You
0: get a Doom wheel, Doom wheel, and they Doom have wheel. they have Doom flyers now. So Doom wheel is basically a big hamster wheel yeah. um that generates lightning as it goes. So it's actually a range. It's really a ranged attack, but it can run over <laughs> stuff. Yeah. A doom flayer is basically a lawnmower with a rat on top of it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And it kind of does these weird spin things, which kind of disrupts. Yeah. Yeah. They,
0: they have some fast stuff, but well, it's given our fast. So they don't, but they don't, but they don't have, really.
2: yeah, they don't really have many mounts. And that, and yeah, like no. you're, you're, actually the doom flayers are surprisingly slow as I found to my cost yesterday. Mm. Anyway, the, um, uh, menace from below allows you to, uh, spawn a, a whole Unit of clan rats wherever you like on the mm. map at any time, like, and he, there's, it's on a slow a, a, a cooldown, but the number of uses of it is defined by how corruption, how corrupted the land is. Yeah. Cause they're just fucking everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And they just come out of the earth and they are, they will totally harry and just mess up formations. If they've got, um, uh, uh sort of, you know, artillery at the back, which you just can't get at. Mm. In any conventional sense, because you got to go through their entire army to get to it. Fucking, there you go. I think that's the thing that's great about from it. below behind.
0: Because I mean, I, I I I usually have the same problem you do with Total war games, where you know you start more far more campaigns than you finish, and you get to the ten hour. I've stopped having fun yeah. now. And Warhammer is Warhammer Two particularly is the only game I've known that's really fixed that. And I think partly that's theme and just wanting to stick with it, but also partly it's because. It gives you, like, I think particularly Skaven are good for this actually because they have so many mechanics that, you know, they can almost always come back. Yeah. Like Skaven are an army that can, can turn a loss into a, into a victory in a way. Like they almost taught me how to play Total War. Like yeah. I, cause I'd always played Total War as if you have to, you do have to win every battle. Yes. And actually it is, it is, I mean, it's not, it's never been the, the, the grandest of grand strategy games in terms of complexity, but there is an element of like, um, it's not about the battles, it's about the war and sometimes just getting off the battle. Like, you know what I mean? So t- Skaven are the, the faction that teaches you that retreating is a thing people yeah. do. That if you throw shitloads of stuff at some high elves and you kill two units of theirs, take massive casualties and run away, you've probably won because there are always more rats. And there are very rarely more elves yeah. And in the grand span of how fantasy tends to
2: work. And they're survivors. They're like, you think I've thought many times that I've lost units, but actually they just run, ran off and I hadn't noticed.
0: Yeah. Right. They just flee. And yeah. And, and that's, but I think that's kind of cool because that's kind of how the game works. Right. Yeah. Like you should, you know, you should retreat when it's the odds aren't good for you, but you tend to not play it that way. And it's true of a lot of kind of, um, it's true of, um, Sort of XCOM or turn-based strategy games with a persistent overworld layer as well that, you know, it's, I think the, the, sometimes the skill of that m- macro strategy is whether or not it rewards you for making the right decision in a bad moment rather than just trying to ace every, si- every single mission.
2: Yeah. Like, I think there's, I think that's also really helped by the under Empire sort of elements mm. of it as well, because my, I remember I played in Warhammer 1, I played, There's dwarfs and orcs, which both of them came with caveats that I didn't really like. So the orcs have this thing where if you're not fighting, they get fucking pissed off (laughs) and they start getting attrition. And if you're not... So that means you just got to keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And that's kind of then rewarded. If you fight enough, then you get the wag and then you get a free army for a a short... A powerful free army for a while. But... What if I don't want to fight? What <laughs> orcs if, may not be for you, Alex. What if, what if there are all the, the nasty things all around me, and it's not a good idea for me not to fucking turtle right now because I'm surrounded by three armies? Thank you very much. Like I don't really want to smash all my fucking orcs on, you know. And with the with the dwarves, they're so they are turtly. Yeah. And I just found it just the grind is trying to work my way up. To, you know, where I needed to go next, you know, to expand the empire. I just found it so grinding. And with the under empire, you, I feel that I can have an area that's mine, but then I can still feel like attaining stuff. I'm running out into the world. I'm gaining more money and I can cook up plans that don't actually involve, you know, endangering expensive armies and stuff. That's what I really liked about the vampire coast, which I did. And this I only actually this is the last campaign I started was Vampire Coast with um Count Noctulus um and that one there uh my computer fucked up and I lost the save mm. but otherwise I would have continued with that but then they have this port thing where you can just set up you know this secret pirate kind vampire of, <laughs> kind of, sort of um outpost at, at port cities anywhere in the world and that's really cool. But
0: I don't know how you keep that a secret?
2: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> because they're, they're, they're ribald as hell, and also they're undead. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> the dead and pirates. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been really fun, um, and yeah, like, it's been really interesting watching some videos of uh, the new Warhammer game, which is imminent, isn't it? Three Kingdoms. Three Kingdoms.
0: You mean Total War game?
2: Total War game, yeah. Mm. Did I say Warhammer? Did war- yeah. Yeah. not say
0: Warhammer? Yeah, it's understandable because they're almost the same word.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it's—I um, don't. I was saying this to Tom earlier on, but the um watching them i don't know where to look for the information because <laughs> is, i'm just so used to the ui in um yeah. total war Hand yeah 9. i've been
1: watching a few videos of this with no intention of playing it because i've never really clicked with a uh, total war game um mm. purely because i love the new ui the like mm. and that was what caught my eyes i was just looking at it and I like, wait a minute it's a total war a game with sorry <laughs> a total war game with a nice ui <laughs> yeah. i mean i'm sure it's functional the usual one but usually it's pretty ugly and this one is beautiful it just looks yeah everywhere
2: yeah there's sort of constant sort of washes of ink like animation. the tech tree the is like
1: stuff. a beautiful oh. ink painting of a tree <laughs> like blossoming text coming off it it's so cool <laughs> Yeah, I
0: played it a little bit at EGX last year and, oh, and really you? liked it. Yeah, cause it was just playable to the public last year. Um, and you can do duels, can't you? You can do duels. That seemed good. Yeah. Um, and it's
2: like heavily, like they're really, really dramatic. Sort of yeah. It feels like affairs. they kind of
0: played up because there are dual animations in Total War, but they're very conditional rather than being a sort of game mechanic. It's just like, if these two characters happen to fight, this will play. But I think if they're I also found it to be quite a lot more lethal with characters as well. That they felt more powerful, mm-hmm. whereas like um, Warhammer does have the issue of like a character is just a powerful unit and they will still just hit things in at their own rate. You know what I mean? You don't have that real moment like wow, they really wiped those yeah. so people out. Like Warhammer, particularly with the magic system. It very rarely do you land a spell and you're like, holy shit, look what that did. Normally it's like, whoa, it's certainly taken off a small chunk. (laughs) Yeah. One man at the back's fallen over. (laughs) Good. Oh, now you made me want to play it again. (laughs) Sorry. That's all right.
2: Uh, I did want to just quickly add another thing. Mm. Uh, um, I saw some chat on the discord and also, uh, a like uh, a listener kindly, um, tweeted at me about, uh, after i talked about ascension last mm. time i was here the card game and they said try star realms and so i did i did did try star realms and star realms is really good um hmm. is that really the, fun
1: uh what's the relationship
2: it is rules wise it's almost identical, like almost identical um in that it's a drafting game where with a central set of cards that you're choosing from and paying them with uh, currency that you're earning off the cards in your hand. But in this one, rather than attacking monsters in the middle, which is, is one of the things you can do, uh, um, you can, you you attack a health bar on your All right. opponent and the, the equivalent of the mechanic, uh, mechanic cards, construct McCana cards, construct cards, construct cards, um, are these kind of things like star bases and things, some of which, um, the other player must take down before being able to, oh, yeah. to, to so, attack oh, you like yeah. so the as kind of like blocks yeah That's and it is really really good like it was i as soon as i started playing and thinking this is just the same game and i thought hmm. but then you know 10 minutes later oh my god this is really <laughs> good and yeah sort of and some of the runs have just been insane like you know just you know it, it's one hand will net you like a damage of four against the opponent. The next one is this continually kind of stocking cards, redealing, kind of and then, you know, hitting them for 30 damage, you <laughs> know, and feeling on top of the world. Until they do it to you. But it's good. It's really is this good. on iPad as well? iPad, and it's on PC as well.
0: Cool. I've paid like 12 hours of ascension since you put it up on the podcast
2: <laughs> sorry you know i mean you,
0: you saw immediately after we finished recording that episode i just bought it on steam i shouldn't have gotten the version i was like oh it's an extra couple of quid for all the expansion packs you don't need all the expansion packs there are so many of them there are so many
2: <laughs> and it takes it i'd say to really appreciate any individual expansion pack Sort of, it takes, I don't
0: know. I started doing where I hours. would play against the AI with the base game and an expansion pack. And then when I won that, I'd load the next expansion pack. And when I won yeah. that, I'd load the next expansion pack. And then I just realized, like, hang on, every game is now unfamiliar. And I'm just going to go back to playing with, like, yeah. the first two expansions or something. Um, and then you should put, do a game with all of them. Also, also, the later expansion packs have different art. Yeah. They actually have like far more like modern feeling fantasy art, which is really weird because it's like seeing the movie adaptation <laughs> of, of the world suggested <laughs> in the earlier art, Uh like where everything is sort of like, obviously it, it's, it's at a higher fidelity, but I don't know if I like it more mm. because there's something about the, 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 the chorus. I definitely like the really weirdness like, of the, the kind art. of grotesqueness of yeah. it. And the, especially so when
2: it, especially when it's combined with the sound effects yeah oh yeah
0: that the first time that I, that came up and I killed it it was a a lovely moment
1: <laughs> uh good Tom, what have you been playing um I finished Evans' vault mm. which i I talked about it last time I was here, but um uh my problems with it remain pretty much the same as they were before, um especially uh like the the big conversation I was pissed off about last time, which um, I was told was a bug and that they fixed. Uh, I believe them, but it is also indicative of just a general trend of the game where it just kind of, it, it. every choice, I've had to learn that every dialogue thing, when you're off with three options, you've got to assume any one of them is, all of them are gone if you don't pick them like that's not always true but you have to assume it because you there's no logic to when they disappear and so it'll be like you meet your old friend and you have this crown you want to look at and one of the options is like hey can you take a look at this crown and the other one is like how have you been don't pick how you've been because if you do that the crown option might just disappear forever
2: this <laughs> and is your you, one chance yeah do so- you know, that's
0: quite a lot like how conversations really go right <laughs> Like it came around. You you never forgot, say that again. You, you forgot what you came in for. <laughs> <laughs> then someone else starts talking about the thing they want to talk about, and you never get around to the thing you wanted to say.
1: It's because uh, the, the game is the that. There is no. There's just one save game. You can't ever go back to a previous save or anything, and it's autosaving all the time, so you can basically never undo anything. So you've lit, can literally doom the whole playthrough by just thinking that when you choose option two, you might get to ask option three afterwards. But if you can't, fuck that whole thread is just closed off to you forever um so that's still frustrating they have done a bunch of stuff that improves it uh so the river stuff um there's now proper fast travel um that you so you can just skip that uh as long as you're going to somewhere you've already been before
2: um oh you've got to navigate it to start with
1: yeah they did like a they did they done two passes at this because the first one was uh oh if it's all unknown rivers then you can just skip it you can ask your robot to do it for you and i thought great okay that solves the problem i was playing it went to a new location and then on the way back I couldn't fast travel I'm like what the fuck and I look at the map and the route is just totally different and like, of course it is because it's a massive one way system that's the whole thing about it. it's like these rivers only go in one direction so your route from A to B has to be completely different to your route from B to A and so even when you're going back to where you were you couldn't fast travel because oh, oh. it's all unknown stuff <laughs> totally new Oh, really? Is there it?
2: is a logic to
1: it <laughs> but now they've changed that as well so it's just like if you've been there before you can just skip there which is good they've also uh, massively improved uh uh, the way that you browse all the all the text that you haven't translated yet, like previously it was divided into solved and unsolved, which is actually sounds good, but it's meaningless because ninety um, percent of the unsolved ones you've solved them. There's just question marks on it because the game hasn't confirmed that you solved it. Um, what you really want to know is which which are the ones where I'm just missing whole words, which are the ones where I I didn't know enough when I looked at it last, but now I do because I've discovered other stuff. And now they just put in a filter for that, so you can just look at ones that. Um, uh, that you can solve now, and that's really cool. Um, so they're doing a lot to to um, fix it. And a lot of my problems with it, actually... So I, I finished it now, and I've played it uh, on a New Game Plus. And New Game Plus is really interesting because you get to keep all of your knowledge of the language... Well, you get to keep all the words you know, um, and you still know them when you start again. And because it is so dynamic, and it's always pushing you down paths and closing off paths for you, um, another playthrough can be quite different. And the stuff you're finding is almost all all the items you're finding with inscriptions, the inscriptions are almost all completely different on the second playthrough. Like the actual, what they what it says on this dagger is different. Um, there are a couple of fixed things where it, what it says is so tied to like what it is and where you find it that it has to be the same. But most of it is just like, oh, this is a new translation. And I think they must be doing some kind of balancing. I don't know if this is just happening naturally or if they're, they're balancing it, but it's words that are, complex enough that i can't just trivially solve them all mm. the time it's like because i know a lot about this language now and it's throwing more like past tense stuff at me which i have less knowledge of um which is amazing that's cool that, that works and then yeah all this stuff about closing off paths on your second playthrough it bothers you less because it's like now i'm i'm just kind of you know steering around i know like you're just less invested in how this one works out this one is just a playthrough to see i wonder what happens if i do this and that kind of stuff whereas your first time through it's like you know, I was really invested in the character and I wanted it to work out in a certain way. And when it was shutting me off from that just because it thought I wanted to do something else, it was fucking infuriating. So yeah, second playthrough is just a bit more chill and they've improved it a lot. So do you have a sense of how long that first playthrough took you? I don't because I kept it does. Um, uh, we were saying earlier, Alex, it like you're worried that if you go back to it, you won't remember where you were. Yeah. And it does have this kind of previously on thing when you boot it up, but that takes like, 90 seconds and you can't skip it and i don't know is it loading in the background i don't remember it loading being like taking that long to start (laughs) up the game and so i would not shut it down i'd just leave it running because that startup sequence is so uh laborious. so my steam playtime says like 68 hours or something (laughs) which i'm sure i haven't played it that long but i left it running a lot in between i feel like a playthrough would be like 10 hours Mm -hmm. maybe my second one has been super fast because i know what i know where to go and load of the content just turned out to be optional and it's just about discovering the language, really. So, if you just want to get to the end of it, you can do it quickly if you know where you're going.
3: Huh.
0: I must return to it, yeah. research it since since we first recorded the part about it.
2: Yeah, same here.
1: Yeah, the language stuff is so good. It's um, it's just a like learning a language. Well, learning this language in this way, it, it both is a best of both worlds thing where it's feels enough like a game that it's fun and it's not daunting and and brutal the way learning a real language can be. Um, But it kind of inherits the sort of endlessly appealing nature of learning. Like Mm -hmm. it's one of those sort of truisms about life that learning is the one thing that never gets old. It always feels good to learn something new. And it does. Like as long as I'm learning new words, I, you know, have an endless appetite for that. Um, And but it's also not super difficult. <laughs> you can basically just kind of coast through it, and yeah. I, now I want to play the game. I really want to play is Indiana Jones at the Fate of Atlantis, but with all the point and click puzzles replaced with learning a language like this. <laughs> oh it's, god,
2: that'd be so that'd just good. be perfect. Mm.
1: There's something I, that they didn't they don't do that they could have done that I'd like to see, which is it's you're an archaeologist, uh, but the game is about information, and so there's an opportunity there to like make a game where you just go and find this stuff and you just read it and you just like the information is what you wanted you've got it you could just leave it there you don't have to like steal everything and take (laughs) it back to and the game does try and you know it raises questions about you bringing this stuff back to this university that's on a very privileged planet and just handing it over to them but it doesn't really go anywhere in my experience like i i refuse to hand it over to the university because not for any moral reason but just because the guy i'm talking to if i say yes to handing over the thing i just gave him he literally goes to the archives right then and there and it takes him like 15 minutes to come back and i had some other stuff to show him (laughs) it's just really boring to wait so i just said no you can't have any of this sorry (laughs) but yeah they could have made a game where you just get the information and leave it alone and they can make a point of that like you know i don't have the right Mm. to take this from um from where it is there's one time when you can take something you find something out there in the world and you know where it belongs and you can take it back there and give it to them um, but the rest of the time it's just either delivered to the university or keep it yourself or <laughs> sell it to your friend. <laughs> right. what else have you been playing, Tom? Um, I also have been trying Phantom Doctrine. Oh, yeah. Which, um, is, uh, <laughs> got a bit of a roller coaster with it where, uh, it had a pretty mixed reception. I, the reason I haven't played it until now is that I, uh, it didn't have brilliant reviews and I heard a lot of uh, mixed things about it. Um, I
2: don't remember it's all...
1: It's Go- an, Go- an XCOM-type Go- Go- game, but about spies. Right, um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's very XCOM, actually. I didn't realize how XCOM until I played it. It's very much they just took the XCOM template and filled in, um, and you sort of put their own theme on it and added some uh, mechanics that suit the theme. Um, it's such a weird initial experience because one of the first things you do is you, you pick your, basically, a passport photo of your, your person. So picking from character portraits, which one do you want to look like. And then it takes you to the character customizer where suddenly like, oh, I've got to make this person look like that now? <laughs> Why isn't that your job? You gave me those options. Don't you just have like a 3D model of this person? No, I've got to fucking go and make that face. So it's like all the hard work of making a character, but none of the freedom because I've basically, I mean, you could just make any face you like, but I felt kind of obliged to match the one I just picked. So <laughs> that was a weird opening. And then the it's got really like um, a load of options for how you start your campaign. Like there's a CIA campaign and a KGB campaign which I can't uh, I don't know how different they are but that's pretty uh, ambitious and there's a third one that you can't choose because you haven't completed the other ones yet but then there's also like and there's difficulty modes easy, medium, hard but then there's also like story depth and the default one is like a simplified story for um yada yada and the next one that is like the real story experience you just can't choose it <laughs> you don't have that option i assume that unlocks after you complete it on the simple mode but it's it's like what? slightly insulting it's like you have oh, to watch this play on twice. the simple mode they the, like
2: well to make you to, like not really understand what happened so you have to play the game yeah, again to...
1: don't it's very weird um but then gets into like the, what the game actually is and uh it is at the very least like the template for like a dream game for me. <laughs> like, hmm. It's XCOM with spies, which just that pitch alone is like, oh my god, that, that that could be amazing. And then it does loads of stuff that's really interesting and cool. So on a mission, um it's kind of got like a hitman type thing where uh you can have one person who's in disguise and they the disguise is perfect. Well enemy agents can see through it apparently but enemy agents are very rare. They're sort of like I think there must be like bosses, because I've only encountered like one so far. Um and for everyone else, your disguise is perfect. They never see through it unless you literally do something, like steal something in front of them or shoot um, someone. And for your agents who aren't in disguise, like the interior of the building is marked, or some interiors of the building are marked as uh, off-limits areas. And until you go in there, you're fine. So even like the armed guards outside, you're there with your light machine gun. And they're there with their assault rifle. You can just walk straight past them; they won't attack you unless they see you go inside. Uh so it's got like a you know sort of almost like a crime system like Hitman. Um and then you are uh competing objectives like uh I don't know, our informant has been busted, get him out there get him out of there alive while the enemy are sending in their agents to to kill him. Oh not agents, just soldiers. Um and it's extremely XCOM, like the even just how your units move, even that that weird XCOM quirk of like I want to go from A to B um, and your character decides to like jump through a plate glass window into a building to take like three steps inside the building and jump through another plate glass window to come back out. Or like there's like a staircase right there, but they'll just throw themselves out of the building to jump down because they're allowed to, (laughs) Uh, which is great. Absolutely no complaints about that. (laughs) Um, And yeah, all the, 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 like, turn the action points thing is mostly like XCOM, and I've been playing it like XCOM, but I've discovered it's there's some kind of difference I don't get. There's, there's action points, and you have two of those, and you can either move a short distance and fire, or you could move the long distance. But there's also fire points, and I don't know what those are. All I know is that when one of my guys went down and I wanted to stabilize them... I didn't have a fire point, and so I couldn't. <laughs> and I think you get one every turn, but I'd used it up doing something. But I don't know what I'd used up doing. And sometimes after you move twice, sometimes you can fire again, but sometimes you can't. Like sometimes you move, like move the long distance and fire, but it does. It's, like there aren't classes of soldiers the, the way there are in XCOM. There's just like weapons and individual perks and stuff. So it must be something to do with like particular kinds of weapons and maybe training with those weapons or something. But I've been playing it for like three hours or something i still have not understood the action point system (laughs) um but it does have some really cool stuff like you have an awareness bar for each of your your troops which is almost like it's more like concentration or something it's like if they take a hit if someone shoots at them while they have full awareness they will try and dodge it and so it will be a grazed shot Um, nothing ever misses it's always just does it do minimum damage or maximum damage and if you have some awareness, then you will you will always do minimum damage because you you dodge it. But that consumes some awareness, and now you can't uh, dodge the mm. next one. Um, so it's like a sort
2: of the equivalent of a shield kind of thing.
1: Yeah, but you also use it for stuff like if you want to do a melee takedown, you need a lot of awareness. Like you have to be sort of being in control of your faculties, I guess. And if you've just been shot at a bunch, you can't you can't run up to someone and do a melee takedown on them because you you don't have your wits about you. Um, and that system seems kind of cool and basically works because you, you can do stuff like. You can have one character... There seems to be a special ability. I kind of wish it was universal, but one character can, like, just yell to another character. Like, it's called, like, Warn warn Ally or something, and that restores all of their awareness. So it's like... like, That's a kind of literal interpretation. Getting shot is bad! I just don't know what's going on. (laughs) Look out! Look out! Okay, fine. That's actually... (laughs) That like You know In movies I'm always watching them Just like yell each other's name At them Like it be like, Alex Alex Alex. Alex Alex knows he's in fucking danger He's like Having a fight with and someone I, like, go- I know Can you shut up please that But also, in this game That works
0: does that, does that replenish Their ability to do Lethal melee takedowns Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look out okay, Alex punch punch. Tom, punch. Tom 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 <laughs> Kill him with a knife
1: Oh <laughs> Okay it's got another interesting mechanic the with balls. the melee where, like... Because <laughs> if a melee... If you have enough awareness, a melee takedown just takes them out. It's just... They're down, does it? Um, and the only requirement is that you have to have more health than them, which is kind of interesting. Um, oh, that's neat. And it's, yeah, there's, there's something... They have put a lot of thought into changing those XCOM mechanics into a, something that makes sense for just humans with guns. Because if you unload a gun on someone, it will either kill them or it will nearly kill them. And if they're nearly dead... Then now you know any idiot can punch them. <laughs> That's what my grandma used to say <laughs> um, uh, like it, it has meaning beyond just them being close to death. Um, and that that all just kind of feels right and, and feels good. and then like your weapon you get to choose whether you use it in single shot or burst fire or full auto. And the, as far as I can tell, the only downside of doing full auto is it consumes more ammo. But the ammo, unlike XCOM, where it's just like your gun has four shots and um that's it. It's just like a 30-round clip. And doing full auto costs like seven rounds because you can do a burst of about that much. Um Which is a cool system and it makes a lot of sense and it's realistic. But I have never needed to reload with anyone ever. And I've read comments um on... Uh, online from people who've played it for like 25 hours literally never had to reload even on the hardest (laughs) modes. like a 30-round mag is actually pretty big (laughs) like you're all right for the length of missions that go on so it's got loads of cool ideas and then like the optional extra things you're finding in the level are just documents that you photograph and there are like lockers of of kit and stuff like um uh, weapons and things um but the documents when you get back to base you get to put them on a cork board and link them with red string and this is like i was i have to say i was wildly excited by the system it doesn't turn out to be what i hoped it was going to be um but it like the idea of actually going and like finding covert documents and then bringing them back and figuring out what the connection between them is is, is in theory so exciting um and the interface of doing it just feels really nice and it's mm. it's inherently fun just to like put you know photos and classified documents and um uh microfilms and stuff uh, on this corkboard and move them around and draw those lines between them. It's very simplistic. It's literally just, if these two mention Brinkman, you draw a line between them and it tells you they both mention Brinkman. And when you do that, the name Brinkman fades out and now you've got to, um, there'll be no other connections to Brinkman. Like that's it.
2: <laughs> so you're not getting leads as to where to find a document.
1: No, I wish quite? there's, it's a mix of like, um, there are some of these corkboards that are like part of the main plot. And the documents there are, I think, handwritten for this purpose. And they, like, most of it is redacted all the time. So it's like, you only get to read half the document at most. Um, and it's all the important stuff is redacted. And there's just some mentions of code names and you just kind of click on those to say, Oh, I spotted this code name. And then that, that makes it an association on the court board that you can link. Um. And then the rest of it is all procgen, apparently. <laughs> like it's just the snippets of text you can read don't mean anything. It's just which code names they mention. The code names themselves right. are procgen, or you know, chosen from a giant list. And the connections between them don't mean anything. It's just like it's it's this, the algorithm is decided it needs to come up with thirteen code names, and about seven of them are linked, and they're linked in these pairs, and that's it. So it doesn't kind of mean anything. And it, it's crying out for meaning. Like it's so if there is a story to understand, like this is such a good way to tell it. If, you, yeah. if the story is actually mm. there on the board. I'm right here, like, this is me speaking. I don't give a shit about your story in 90% of games and I'm reluctant to read it and I skip all the cutscenes and everything, but you put it on a corkboard and I'm like, Oh my God, tell me everything. <laughs> I will read every word. <laughs> tell of this me about text. your
2: world. <laughs> um, so, but that, like, that is like the promise of that is really good, but also yeah. supported in the original, uh, XCOM, which because you'd be going out on missions to do specific things to provide, you know, get to, to, to get a sectoid body that you could then investigate and then which would lead to the next yeah. step in the story or put a
1: bit of red string between thing. sectoid body and sectoid yeah. <laughs> I think there could be a connection here <laughs> I shot that guy and then there was his body here aliens <laughs> <laughs> triple question mark weird looking men <laughs> <laughs> crabs <laughs>
0: question mark question mark question mark and that's the phoenix point yeah that point. Is, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah
2: yeah to make that now sorry um
1: your base that you uh that you go to between missions um there's like a, a globe map which again is way more exciting in theory than it is in practice um because like the idea of like i don't know sending people on send your agents out on flights to investigate suspicious activity in like tripoli and um Baghdad and uh all these places sounds really cool um but it quickly becomes like just rote. It's just, oh, I just do this. This Like when this red dot comes up, I click on it and the person goes there and then they investigate or whatever whatever. Um, but then it has some cool stuff like if your agent, if combat does break out in a mission, like you can do some missions without ever getting into an open firefight because you've got one guy in disguise. um The others uh, can potentially just sort of stay outside the building and then like jump in to grab some documents and jump out before any guards see them. Through several place place, (laughs) (laughs) yeah breaking windows makes no noise (laughs) Um, and but if they do get blown uh, and there's a straight out firefight then that agent their identity is blown and that means that as they travel around the world there's a chance they'll be intercepted and there's you can't use them on recon missions and some other restrictions and stuff and so you have to uh pay to get them a new identity and you don't have to do this but you absolutely should always and they should have made you do it where you can go into the character customizer and just change what they actually look like. So you get to do all their, like put the mustache on them and now they've got dark glasses and change their hair and make them wear a different... And I, like, again, I'm so willing to engage in this. This is so what I want to be doing. So you don't, like I say, you don't have to do that. You pay the $500 and that just fixes it. But it, you you can press another button to go into the character customizer. So I always do. I force myself to redesign. Even if I just did it, like the last mission, they <laughs> got them blown again. Um, and I will specifically put thought into like, Last time, the last get up I had for my guy Durand, he would, look, I kind of dressed him like kind of, uh, young, kind of, uh, like rapper who really fancies himself and like wants to look classy, but doesn't really know how to pull it off quite yet. <laughs> and then when I was redesigning him, I wanted to like, okay, now make him look kind of schlubby, like <laughs> kind of give him much a more low key vibe. And yeah, I, want to be thinking about that stuff and figuring out like <laughs> that's what character customizers are good at and usually you use them once at the start of the game and never think about them again and here's a game that where it actually makes sense for you to repeatedly engage with them and yeah right put thought yeah. into them and explore all the variety that they offer you like i actually need to create like role different versions of well. this character yeah so it's full of it's full of potential and um not all of it really comes into play but i have had a, fun, a lot of fun with the missions um uh, you know there's there's a way to do it in a really stylish way though it feels like hitman meets xcom mm. um and uh the game i think from what i hear from like people who played it more than me it's the more you play it kind of degenerates into like you can just perfectly stealth everything and you never have to engage with the combat at all and it kind like, of gets repetitive that way um i haven't hit that point yet but um yeah i can believe it it's definitely like the fantasy of it is so much it's so mm. exciting that you, you kind of want it to, um, to work.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I keep meaning to. I was really attracted to the theme when it came out as well, but I sort of wonder because every single person I've heard talk about it has said, I'm the theme of these ideas tonight. Yeah. I said sort of stalled at some point, but.
1: I wrote down some of the code names that the, um, that the chalk, the cork board generated because the name we love. Uh, a key figure in one of my cork boards is Backdoor Man. <laughs> it's hard to ignore him. Someone is just called Unusual Arms. <laughs> Either very long or very short. Uh, another person's codename is Jive Cop. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's There's a new a, class for you. Yeah, That's a British twisted character, Tom.
2: <laughs>
1: As if we're not in enough hot water already. And then another one is diphthong. <laughs> diphthong. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: amazing. Good.
0: What have you been playing, Chris? Um, I have been playing Mordhau. Mordhau? Mordhau. How Mord? Maud Mordhau. How uh, Mord? Uh, How Maud, you die by getting decapitated with a bardish by a man badish. called Liberal Wrecker.
1: Oh. Uh, <laughs> is it a multiplayer game? Yeah, it is. Okay. But that's really skipping to the end.
0: <laughs> this is, this is, that's really skipping to the end of this, uh, thing. So Maud How is, 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 is doing very well right now. It's, it's been in early access for a fair old time, I think. I think it was kickstarted. Um, it is a sort of spiritual successor to games like Chivalry, um, uh, to medieval combat simulators um big multiplayer medieval combat simulator um i picked it up because i do love sword fighting games Mm. and i'm always like if it's got a sword fighting game sword fighting system in it i will play it um this feels like an adaptation of both chivalry a little touch of kingdom come deliverance's sort of multi-directional sword swinging um
1: what about for honor Hmm.
0: um for honors um somewhat but for honor is very much its own game for honor is a like um I really like for honor, but it's you know it, it has its it feels more like a fighting game in some ways it's it's obviously three dimensional and it's third person and and the rest of that but like um for honor isn't concerned with sort of granular muddy reality in the way that uh chivalry is and kingdom come is and this is um. So um and it's great it's really 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 good. Um I'm really impressed with it and I've played a bunch of it. Um it, it, I picked it up 2 days ago yesterday maybe. Um and it's a you know very much like the thing I want to play um all the time um for a bunch of reasons and and first and foremost I think it's just a really technically impressive uh, combat sandbox. So that's kind of what it all comes down for. All of its modes everything is just about how robust that central kind of combat system is. So you you have, you can choose from a section of classes, but all a class is, is like a particular loadout of armor, weapons and gear and those kinds of things. You're very much encouraged to build your own character basically. And it's almost like kind of, even though it's a multiplayer game, it is almost like a kind of like character creation system. You have like 16 points to spend and everything costs points from armor to weapons to uh, traits that you might give your character and you just figure out how you're going to distribute those points based on what you want and then you you unlock more options for your character and that kind of gear spans like the whole range of um medieval weaponry that you expect different kinds of swords spears pole poleaxes lances actually no lances are a pickup um spears lots of different kinds of uh shields bows crossbows gadgets there's a loot for some reason like
1: (laughs) (laughs) there's a bard class there is basically yeah
0: um and some sort of gadgets like fire bombs and smoke bombs and things and um all of this stuff is uh you know simulated lots of it has sort of alternate sort of um modes of use it's all based on sort of real medieval Warfare, a Mordhau grip is when you hold the sword backwards and hit people with the hilt. Yeah. Um, that's what that's called. That's why, and <laughs> hence the name of the game. Um, But and it, but the way it, the, the sandbox it all feeds into is extremely granular. And for, given the scale of it and how well it runs, really impressively uh, physics-driven. So when, when you say, like, a physics-driven combat game, you think, like, Gang Beasts or, you know what I mean, that kind of... Like, but really, it is. So it's a 64 player multiplayer game and at any given time it's simulating to an accurate degree the exact position of every blade every projectile everything everything is not even though so you know you can swing your sword in i think eight directions so you'll have you know you're you have sort of it depends on the direction the mouse is moving in when you click basically so um, the mouse the direction your mouse is moving in is the direction you will move the sword in order to prepare for the strike. So to do a, a blow that goes mm-hmm. up to down, you move the mouse up because that's right. the direction you'd be moving the sword to prepare to bring it down. I'm doing some mimes here, but not mm-hmm. really podcast. Um, and so that is the sort of the wind up and then the blade comes down. And then whenever whatever app. So that is not it's not like you're not drawing the blade in the air but wherever it is in the air is where the blade is. There isn't a moment where the blade suddenly does damage, where it enters its sort of like, it's, it's not a secret yeah. gun. A lot of first, this is a first or third person game, we've mostly been playing it in first person. Uh, a lot of first person melee weapons are secret guns, mm. right? They're guns with one, you know, one unit of range. Um, these are not. When the blade is doing its thing, um, it, you know, as soon as it is being swung after being prepped, it is incapable of doing damage. And however you are moving in the course of that animation, um, will change, accelerate or decelerate the, the progress of that phase of the, the slice essentially, and anything it collides with is collided with. Basically. So you can't do an overhead swing in a low, in a corridor with a low ceiling. Like the blade will just bounce off the ceiling above you and it will reset the animation. Okay. So
1: it doesn't like get stuck
0: behind you. It can do. (laughs)
1: Really? It it
0: can get, you can, it can drag and it can slow you down for a frame. This is a totally accurate battle simulator. (laughs) Yeah. Like I think what's really impressive about it is it has a touch of that, but it doesn't end up slapstick, which is really rare for a game like this. Like, you know, if you're fighting someone in a corridor, um, it will naturally become a game of thrusts. And and you know because it's hard to swing a, a a three foot long sword in a corridor like every other. Do you like
1: drag down for a thrust?
0: Uh No, it's actually it's weird. It's mouse wheel forwards. Oh, <laughs> um, because it's actually considered a completely different sort right, of attack. Yeah. And this is obviously ties into a parry system. Several different kinds of parry system. There's a feint <laughs> system, and there's a way to change one particular kind of attack into a different kind of attack. So you're you know I I don't I can't I could talk for a while about like. I'm still learning it, but there's so much granularity just in a one-on-one duel situation in terms of how many options you have, why it matters what kinds of weapons you're carrying, um, and also really granular damage. So um, you can, like the level of detail is kind of amazing. Like there's been stuff that's happened in it that I've never seen done in a game like this before. So um, you can lose uh, your hand at the wrist. And depend depending on which hand it is, you maybe can keep fighting until you bleed to death. Like you know, if if you lose your left, if you lose your left, if (laughs) you lose your left hand, or if you take your left hand off your opponent, they might drop their shield, but they can keep swinging sword (laughs) for a bit. You can take a leg off below the knee. That usually, I mean, obviously, a head coming off is uh, is, is (laughs) a drawback. That's a drawback. (laughs) But like you know, it has these kind of moments where something connects at a very specific angle, and it feels like right that that's what just happened it's <laughs> not like you know obviously it is just factoring in like headshot damage and things like that but um there's um a real sense that you know blades coming at each other from a certain angle will clash in in midair with each other there's a parry system which is a little bit more forgiving than that in terms of what it allows you to do There is also a stamina system and a health system so you run out of health you die but if you run out of stamina which is basically um it's really nice it's you it costs stamina to to block stuff and it costs stamina to attack if you miss, hmm. which is really a nice system because it means that it costs you to swing wild, but it pays off if you land every blow. You can keep fighting for a long time, hmm. which feels right. Um, if you run out of stamina, um, I think it's the next hit disarms you. So your weapon falls oh. to the ground and you can pick it up. Um, you can also pick up it's kind of nuts. Like I had this crazy moment and I've discovered a lot of these systems. There's a tutorial, but I have discovered a lot of these systems just by kind of playing with it. Um, I made my own character and, and he carries a, a bastard sword and a, um, a targ shield, like a target shield, like a little parrying shield, which unlike a lot of shields can't be held up constantly. Normally, like if you're parrying with a weapon or, uh, if you're parrying with a weapon, the parry window is like a flash, like you, you you right click and then you get this sort of moment of, as long as you're angling, angling it correctly, the ability to to turn a blow. Um, most shields, the exception that allow you to hold the shield in front of you, apart from this one, which allows you to just bring it up quickly, but it does cover a wider surface area. So it's useful for that reason. It's also useful because if I'm using my bastard sword with a two handed grip, it goes on my back. And while it's on my back, <laughs> it's still a shield. Mm. It still does all the things a shield would do. Um, it's just on my back which is actually handy and i'm paying some points for that which could also be a trait like that's a cool trade-off really like that stuff uh, but i had this crazy moment where i was like um uh running towards this sort of postern gate and a castle and this other like heavily armored knight runs out towards me then he sheathes his sword and pulls a dagger and throws it at me and i managed to sort of like pull up the shield just in time and the dagger sticks in the shield. <laughs> And then I noticed that the dagger had the interaction glow around it. and I So awesome. I just pressed the use button and I take the dagger out of the shield. Now I have the dagger. And then I threw it back at him. And like, I didn't hit, didn't land it, but it was like, holy shit. Like I noticed that sometimes arrows stick in you if you get shot with an arrow and it's glowing. And it's because you can collect it. Like it is, it like that. Thanks
1: for the loot, asshole.
0: Yeah. <laughs> didn't even have to go bend over to pick this one up. Um And there are so many like, little like details like that which aren't easy to simulate like to have you know a, a an object sticking out of a player be a collectible <laughs> um be treated the same way by the game is 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 really neat particularly because it's a it's a very good looking game it runs in an unreal engine it's it's very detailed you know nice lighting um and it runs really well and it is simulating these big battles so there's a um a Battle Royale mode, which uh is an entertaining total shit show. Um in that you just find these little treasure chests and you kick them open and you just find whatever's in there and you try and kill people with them. <laughs> um and it takes a little bit too long to load, I think, so I don't really kind of enjoy it just as like it's, it's addictive because all battle royale is addictive, but the meat of it for me has been sort of um I think it's getting a dual mode eventually. Um at the moment it's this mode called Frontlines, which is basically battlefield. It's basically fantasy battlefield, it's control points and tickets and stuff, and siege weapons and she's got catapults and there's a class that can build stuff so they can build barricades. You can play as an archer if you like, which just feels completely different. Like you're so vulnerable, but you hang at the back firing arrows into melees. Um, and the rest of the time it's this mad, you know, huge, just vast, um, multi-man melee that's going on for takes a while. Like a match can take like half an hour. And it's attritional and really interesting, partly because it has friendly fire. Because that system wouldn't really work without it. There's a trait you can take called friendly, which means that you take less damage and deal less damage to your from your allies. And it's basically kind of recommended for new players because (laughs) when people start running in and swinging their swords, they don't realize that, like, when I talk about the entire arc of the sword mattering, like, I remember, like, one of my first, like, really great, like, oh, yeah, got that guy thing was, like, coming in, parry, 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 swing my bastard sword and a two-handed grip and a huge arc to take his head off and also took the head off the ally standing next to him so i gained a 100 points for the enemy kill and lost a 100 points for the friendly kill um like it will fully you know fully let you do that um and so that means that what starts is this i think quite unfor it's extremely unforgiving like you die very quickly you know you might choose not to wear a helmet to save some points or to stay a bit lighter so you move faster but then arrow hit you in the head you've died like and there are so many things how does it deal with um
2: uh armor like is it just mitigate
0: or it's uh light medium and heavy armor and it i believe um it it responds differently to different kinds of damage so you can have like hammers and maces and things they do better against heavy armor (laughs) but they also stop when they hit something whereas a sword doesn't necessarily stop when it hits something so like a sword can cleave through several things before the attack swing stops. Whereas a hammer stop connect stops on mm. connection with the first thing it hits. Um, armor also slows you down. So like I've opted for wearing like a medium helmet, because i don't like getting arrows in the head a heavy breastplate and then light arms and legs so that i can stay a bit quick and i can take a risk if someone chops my legs out from underneath me but <laughs> it's kind of worth the balance and it's kind of cool making those you decisions look like
2: a sort of barrel with swords. Of arms and legs <laughs> no, actually, the, the
0: cosmetics are quite nicely matched so you can kind of create a look that looks about right like i look like a sort of norman knight now um but um but yeah so you start off sort of just running around next to hitting your friends a lot and um being very confused and getting killed quickly. There are also horses. So you can mount a horse and ride around, uh murdering people from horseback, which uh feels great, you know, landing a, a sword swing and taking a head off. Um, but also then you eventually realize the sort of the strategy of like this mobile sort of front line of battle. Like unlike a lot of melee games, it actually does manage to I think maintain. sense of where the front line is at any given point and there are obviously flanking maneuvers and things but no one wants to get ganged up on and so it's almost like in terms of so you have this you you have this yeah you have this very um extremely granular and detailed ground level this is a little bit like chivalry i suppose but like ground level uh sword fighting game which makes is is interesting even if you're just fighting another player in a completely isolated environment But when you suddenly got like 30 players around you and it's constantly breaking out into like one-on-ones and two-on-ones that maybe end in a death, but maybe just reset and people are sort of vying for these openings and things. It's really, really exciting. And it creates these moments as well, where if you manage to momentarily beat the odds, either through just playing well or a bit guile, you know, the tricks and traps, you can like bear traps. There's loads of other gadgets and stuff you can do. Like, um, you know like trying to sneak like crouch and sneak around back to try and get into their arches and just start like chopping up arches is can be really fun Um, I've managed to win like one 3v1 ever so when I was on my own against three people and that feels amazing because you're sort of trying to parry everything as it comes in and then like jab to kill one of them and it feels properly like Game of Thronesy. actually mm-hmm. like that's the, the sort of the the vibe it feels really good when that happens because also it means that you've sort of beaten the odds at a particular corner of the front line and then everything else sort of like pushes in behind that. The downside to it is in the time I've been playing it, I've never seen the team that gains the early advantage lose. <laughs> like it does feel like a very one way slog. And I'm not sure how you come back when you're sufficiently behind on tickets and respawns essentially for your team. But so far um, I am really, really enjoying it. Um, the only sort of downside I attribute it to it and um I sort of I get the impression, like I don't want to totally say like it's sold like half a million copies already, like it's done really, really well. And not every single one of those people is going to be a Bellend. <laughs> um but uh it has a bit of a toxicity issue in chat already. It's very, very prevalent. Um and I I don't know particularly why I could guess why, but it feels like that comes with this particular territory. Yeah, I do. Like so the medieval so. combat yeah. game, um, you know, it's um, like you. It feels see- like
1: the crowd who who love this stuff. Well, some of the crowd who love this stuff are also the people who are like, oh, you shouldn't have this race in it because it's not historically accurate. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so
0: um, the the funniest and saddest button in this game <laughs> is skin color you literally press skin color for your character cuz it has character customization and you get eight little blocks to, of color to choose from and all of them are white I heard it uh you can only be a man you know <laughs> it's it's you can only be a white man basically a a, a a bulky white man you can pick your voice and you can yell cuz you can press v to scream basically yeah. <laughs> which is also from chivalry um and there is one voice that's called foppish Um, that you can, Uh um, which is the best one. And so, cause, um, because it is, you know, sort of like lightly camp English Lord. Um, so you can run around screaming, dodge this,
2: you bastards. (laughs)
0: Um, which, um, is worth doing if only to kind of like try and take away from the kind of hyper macho.
2: (laughs) Is it American?
0: Uh, no. Um, I don't know exactly where, I don't want to, I don't want to guess basically. Um, but yeah, like not to, not to pussyfoot around it. Like I wasn't joking at the start when I said that I've literally been decapitated and then seen the anime avatar come up with the, with the username of my killer being literally like wrecker of liberals. <laughs> and it's like, it's, you know, for, for fuck's sake. Like um, earlier in a game I was playing, um, I saw a guy whose name was cancer boy. Spamming the phrase "I'm definitely hetero" over and over and over again in chat, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, for fuck's sake, like
1: toxic communities one hundred and one. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're not
0: even trying very hard. This is like, <laughs> um, you like, uh, it's got, and I say this because, uh, and I say this with one caveat, which is like the guides I've read, like, because it's got me interested enough in its system that I go away and read about it, and the guides I've read come across as. You know, very engaged and mature and actually in sword fighting games previously um i you know you often find people who get really into it like don't exhibit any of those issues but there's something about the theme i think particularly this sort of european medieval warfare thing um that attracts a certain breed of asshole and i'm well i don't know any amount of theorizing why but it's a bit of a shame because it does feel quite like uh kind of like an ugly place to spend time just because of the quality of the chat it doesn't help that the default character model in uh battle royale looks like topless vladimir putin <laughs> Uh so there's a lot of that it's a lot of like, cause, and then while you're queuing for a battle royale game to start, you, you are allowed to run around and punch each other, but you're not allowed weapons. So it is just punching. <laughs> so like the start of any other battle royale game is like this wet slapping noise. It's like half a dozen <laughs> Vladimirs smack each other in a lumber mill. <laughs> and then you load in and then like a man called, you know, like fucking, you know, Wang. 69 mega skin throws a spear at you and then it's over when you load for five minutes like it's not i really want to recommend it and actually there's the reason i spoke for like 10 minutes about how good its combat system is um is because there's a really fundamentally very very good game there and i do want to keep playing it but i also feel like i would be remiss not to mention that it doesn't feel like the most welcoming place. Um and I, I suspect that because of the type of game it is, because it's a so technical it suffers tremendously from like the bell end curve. Um which is good <laughs> <laughs> which is that um at the uh, you know, you you will find a lot of new players coming into the game that don't want to mimic the tone of maybe, you know, the, the broader or the most vocal elements of the community who simply play in silence yeah. and enjoy themselves. And then at the top end of the game, you're going to have players who take it very seriously. You probably talk in the jargon of the game, but have no interest in that toxicity either because they're interested in, they're the ones who bow before a sword fight and say GG afterwards. And then in the middle, you have the bell end hump of like people who are halfway good at the game and they're only in there to teabag other players after they've successfully lopped their head off with a body. And um that's kind of what it is. But I also can see why it's been so successful because it feels like the promise of that kind of... Really, kind of granular, um sort of sword fighting thing. Lots of blood and gore and mud and that kind of low fantasy. Not low fantasy, because it's historical, I suppose. But you know, that feel is is very, very well executed. Like um it almost feels like if it just put if someone had just layered a, a Game of Thrones skin over it, they hmm. would have um, maybe profited from being able to detach it somewhat from the kind of uglier ramifications of its real historical reference points. Hmm. yeah it's like battle of the bastards (laughs) (laughs) battle of the (laughs) assholes battle of the bell curve yeah (laughs) um but i definitely want to play loads more of it and i think it could potentially be really fun just to knock about it with friends as well that's what i haven't done yet is play it with friends i'd really like to just roam around as a group kind of getting into scrapes scrapes and things you can also throw a lot of weapons regardless and <laughs> there's nothing like just i'm listening
1: <laughs>
0: just just like i was in a really long duel with a guy and i ended it by just throwing my falchion at him overhand and it stuck in his head and it was so <laughs> good i had to go and pull it out and it's like yeah just
1: like put a foot on their body to pull it out unfortunately
0: not <laughs> but you can imagine it um yeah this. It, it, there are so many kind of continually it does the thing that battlefield does of like oh wow like this is a war moment you know like you know Battlefield's mm. very cinematic that's a sort of on the fly cinema of like oh the plane went really low it does that but with like holy shit that ballista bolt went right past my head uh, or, or even the, the better version of that is like you're dueling a guy for ages, then like a massive ballista bot goes through him and pins him to a wall. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. And he turned around and it was actually friendly fire. Cause, <laughs> 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 and then he's in the chat, like, Fuck it, take it. Um, <laughs> thanks backdoor
3: man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a lethal ballista. It's backdoor man. Um, but yes, that's, um, Maud Howe.
2: It's good. <laughs> That's a <moral> how
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: When the knife hits your shield like.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Take another drink. <laughs> Tensions are bro. Chris, should we do something? <laughs> <laughs> ah, I didn't actually take a drink.
0: <laughs> I only pretended to take a drink. Checkmate. Regardless. Yeah. Should we
2: do some questions? Some I suppose
0: questions? we must. We have a lot of questions because we missed a week. So apologies if we don't get to your question uh in the time that we have allotted for this process. Also through the selection process, we've managed to guarantee that more than half of the questions we're going to answer are not about cutlery. (laughs) Um, Ollie writes, hi all I'm doing my PhD on how religion is depicted in works of science fiction, including a few sci-fi video games. So far, I've looked at mass effect, dead space and subsurface circular. As I do my research, I'm realizing that religion is something that a lot of games tend to shy away from apart from its frequent portrayal as an antagonist in the form of some kind of evil church faction. What are some of the most interesting depictions of religion in video games of any genre? Are there any fictional religions in games that have stuck with you? And do you think there's room for games to explore religion in more interesting ways? Personally, i like to see more occasions where the player can actively engage with religious ceremonies, rather than remaining a passive observer. The recent indie game Ritual of the Moon comes to mind, which was featured in Alice Bell's Diary on RPS. Thanks for the tasty pods, Ollie. That's a good question.
2: I immediately thought about, um, especially with the, um, reference to Ritual of the Moon, uh, Michael Brogue's uh, Vespa 5, uh, uh, which I mm. really, I really, I played it daily for a couple of months, really, as a sort of like a, did you, do you know do you No. Know? So heard of it, there's a game where you get to mo- it's a sort of, uh, you, it's like a grid based game. And you get to make one move, like a single tiles move in any direction, mm. uh, on a day. Right. And then next day you can move another move again. It's like a daily challenge, but like one action. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you'll see kind of things to look at and the interactions are minimal as in you'll see a flower and you got to it and you'll just see when you finally reach it, you know, two weeks later, uh, it will just show you a close-up picture of that flower and that'll be it (laughs) but there's something about its slowness which is really related to games like um animal crossing which kind of hint or involve you in a incredibly simplistic world but expand it by just restricting it you know and you know according Mm. to the course of time uh that it felt like a ritual like Mm. like a, a something that that has a meaning outside itself and something that one can devote oneself to. And like obviously it's name Vesper is kind of quite an explicit relation, you know, explicit um, reference to to, 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 <laughs> to moped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was the close one. Like, you know, as soon as we went, the, the, the first few sentences of the question, like the first thing I was sort of thinking about was like religion, games worlds like game stories aren't very good at religion because religion has to involve the player like the, you know you have to mm. it's about belief and it's about long-term relationships but of course games can construct belief and that you do need to to apply a sort of sense of, of of kind of like willingness to kind of comply and and to sort of put effort into something outside of oneself in the same Mm. in like vesper is a sort of like a like a really sort of chiseled kind of perfect example of of that like you know playing a daily challenge or an mmo like there is a sort of a a ritualistic element to it i I think what you kind of miss is the sort of the belief in the sense of the game giving you an answer to existence Mm. that you know or maybe maybe they do like games don't to me but maybe they did once i I don't i don't remember that
1: yeah it's interesting the depiction of religion in games now that you mention it it can only really depict a religion you don't believe in right it's always Mm. if it's a fictional religion it's it's never going to be one the player themselves uh you know is a believer in and it's unlikely that the game itself is going to convert you to their religion because it's a thing they fucking made up for a video game. So it's going to, uh, not hold that kind of weight, even if, even if they, you know, even if it was incredibly well fleshed out and had a, like, a sort of good kind of message and a code to live your life by just the very fact that it's in a video game is going to, mm. uh, you know, make you be extremely skeptical of it. And so mm. they can only ever show religion from an outsider's perspective and. I don't know, that, that's interesting because as the questioner notes, that's usually kind of vilified. Like if it's a religion that the player doesn't believe in and the developers don't believe in it either because they just made it up, uh, it's kind of a false religion by almost by definition. Like whatever it's, if it's saying some factual thing about the world, it must be wrong. Um, and so it's, it's an easy thing to vilify. I wonder if there's anything more you can do than that. I mean, you can make a sympathetic religion where like the, you know, what it's teaching people is a generally positive way to live. Um, but in terms of its, it's like story about how the world was created and gods yeah. and things like that, it's always going to be, here's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I can think of a few examples. Like I think,
0: um, tides of Numenera has a lot of, as in the second torment game has a bunch of really cool sort of, uh, ritualistic set pieces and things, because that f- fiction is very much about people finding weird ways of engaging with ancient technology and, and so it's sort of a sci-fi universe, but the, the way that manifests in the present for a lot of characters is various forms of sort of ritual and faith. And again, it's, it's not going to sort of convince you to adopt any of them, but there's a bunch of good sort of philosophical positions adopted. And I think those particular types of games are very good at that, like adopting a philosophical position and attaching a character to it and, Giving you an opportunity to have a dialogue with it, I was thinking about it, and actually, I sort of agree with what you're saying that, like, you know, the player's not going to believe themselves. I think a game that has at least allowed you to effectively role play that, if you want to, Mm -hmm. is Dragon Age Inquisition, and the reason it works is because if you, you know, this kind of depends on you. Um, So in that game, early on, you people start something miraculous happens to you and people start to believe that you must be some kind of messianic figure and the choice is given to you about whether or not well how you feel about that and based on the kind of character you've built you can also uh say whether or not your character shares the faith of the people who believe that because obviously if you are a messianic figure you're a messianic figure within one particular faith in the world and you could easily be from a a background that you wouldn't even have that faith so why would you believe this but you're allowed to, you know, role play that and and make choices to that effect how you feel about it. And nonetheless you have to engage with it quite a lot. But one of the reasons it works, I think, is because they had two games of build-up to kind of set up that faith and that sort of religious system. And I think Dragon Age is ultimately quite a mechanical fantasy universe in some ways. Like the magic the way magic works is very tied to intention with religion in that world and and there's um And there's a sort of the ongoing mystery to the point where they they got it towards the end of Dragon Age Inquisition and its DLC is the point where you start to uncover some like fundamental truths that underpin the world that sort of put you in a position of privileged knowledge about what really happened. And so you end up with this sort of like really long view of, oh, this faith has come about because of these particular events, at particular times. And these details were squashed and these details were elevated. But I think giving you all that, giving you having it be back matter for two games and then foreground matter in the third game is actually kind of a neat way of giving you an opportunity to decide Mm. actually i do believe this and that doesn't feel like an act of pure like just random role play because i had two games to
2: understand what it is i'm claiming to believe games games like the messianic sort of uh aspects of religion like games to like like dragon age is definitely playing off the Ultima kind of set piece of you as the avatar and it is like, yeah and it, like it seems quite explicitly playing off it like yeah because it's it, it commenting is on it.
0: undermining it like yeah. it's it's because it's the it ex-
2: you're pretty much accepting that you
0: are the dude yeah right like it, you know it, it, every that's one thing so Dragon Age did consistently is sort of make it matter less where you're from like you you are a special person in each game but through circumstance rather than mm. destiny, necessarily. It's quite a sort of anti-destiny series in a yeah. way.
2: it's quite interesting. Um, That's why you're
0: not allowed to say destiny in the power <laughs> of <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm, um, I'm working on a book about uh, sort of 1980s Japanese game, develop- uh, game mm. developers at the moment, and I was interested, a lot of the RPG developers, like the people who founded the JRPG back in the sort of early to mid-1980s, um they were all responding to wizardry and to ultima and quite a lot of them sort of just happily took a lot of the signifiers of of, of messianic signifiers that were in those mm-hmm. games um and made them explicitly christian you know reference christian things and when a few of not many of them but most few of them were uh localized into english and a lot of that had to be stripped out because it was too close like you know their references to satan and stuff like that which just doesn't you know especially in in those days like just didn't translate yeah yeah it's really interesting I i was just going to say um uh Oh, did, did you want to? Uh, no, no. I was going to, the, there's, um, six ages, uh, which mm. still isn't on PC, but six ages is very much about interpretation of religion, like a, mm. about Dragon, about King of Dragon Pass is
1: on PC, right? Uh,
2: yes, it is. And yeah. I guess actually, yeah, no, that does have shitloads of gods. Actually, this yeah, is, it's the same. <laughs> shitloads of gods. And I've worked with myths. all
1: ants, let me tell you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and actually, yes, yeah, the same mythological space in, right. in, uh, in six ages. So yeah, it's the same point where, You are interpreting myths and you are thinking about what they might have be actually explicit, like what things happened in history and Mm. what...
1: dragon pass has a thing where you need to learn yeah. this basically kind of the scripture of what happened in the gods, because at some point you're going to go on a vision quest kind that's of it. thing. And during that you'll be asked, Oh, you're in this situation. What do you do? And the correct answer is what that person did do in that situation yeah. in the scripture. Cause you're kind of reenacting it. If you it. don't remember it, you're fucked. Yeah. Um, and I've screwed that up <laughs> yeah. multiple times. Yeah. And that's, that's, it, I don't know. It, it makes nar it pushes narrative into the gameplay space and makes you you know, for gameplay reasons you must learn this narrative. It's a bit of a gun-to-your-head approach. It's like, fucking read this shit or we will kill you. Yeah,
2: read this shit and we're going to ask you questions about it.
1: Yeah, whereas like the board thing I was talking about earlier the Phantom Doctrine, the ideal of that is that you're naturally motivated. Like, I want to learn this stuff because it will let me do this
2: extra thing. But in fact, you're just clicking on Orlanth yeah. and it's just showing you
1: Orlanth. You know, all <laughs> all links, links to Backdoor the- Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm both in league with Jive Cop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I was going to say. I, I imagine I have mentioned this a cabillion a times, but just uh, and Mass Effect was already mentioned in the question. Um, but I remember it really striking me at the time when I played Mass Effect One when I was twenty. Um, that like I had never seen a, I'd never had a, a played a game where there was a Christian in it. And they were just Christian. They weren't space religious. They huh. weren't made up religious. They were simply religious in a way that people are religious. And I thought that. I mean, I you know I haven't played a game for a while, but that's Ashley Williams in, in Mass Effect One. We'll just right. explain to you what, that she believes in God, and you know, and you can even say to her like, "Does the fact that we're flying around the spaceship with? But look at the dinosaurs-
2: sun. We're going past." <laughs>
0: uh <laughs> and she goes nope and it's kind of, like no, kind of that. <laughs> well but it's like you know you kind of it's it's a rare example i think and some of the reasons i like that character so much but like of of a game just saying like you know people have faith and it's not really there for you to pick apart and challenge and decide you know to like demand that you get told everything about it it's just a sort of fact of people's lives and it is part of a longer relationship i think that's one thing it does quite effectively is evoke the sense that this is a person with a history that precedes you by a li- by their lifetime, and mm. as a result, they carry with they come with relationships that you are not there to fix. Which is, or not always. By the way, don't always do that. They often, you often, you know, you arrive in people's lives as the messianic figure yeah. who fix everything, including single. the Mass Effect series. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, Mass Effect Two had this problem. I've talked about this so much, but like, it's one thing that's good about Mass Effect one is it doesn't ask you to fix everybody in quite the same way. And I think Ash is the, is a good example of that. Mm. Um, like, you know, the big conflicts of her life have actually already happened by the time you meet her and she has this faith. And that's, I think quite an interesting kind of idea that they never really return to <laughs> in any other context. Um, not to, I mean, the other kind of game that I guess sort of, or the series or, or type of game that has, I think, effectively giving the opportunity to kind of discover and explore a system. Um, Alex, I'm going to need you to toot for me here. Toot toot. Yeah. It's dark souls, everyone. <laughs> the lowest hanging of the flutes <laughs> yeah. and also Sekiro and Bloodborne. uh, from software <laughs> games basically do this. And, and as everyone knows, cause we bang around, bang on about them constantly. But like that, I would say is like, um, the sort of, uh, you know, maybe the thing that unifies all of them from Dark Souls through Bloodborne through Sekiro is like, you get kind of welcomed into the sort of, uh, a place that is itself the kind of, um, represents the the legacy of a belief system at exactly the point where it starts to fall apart. And then you, you're encouraged to kind of, uh, be there and, and sort of experience it and figure out like what has been lost and what is being lost. As it kind of all, all falls apart behind, around you, partly because you will not stop knifing, <laughs> knifing the principal players <laughs> in this drama, but nonetheless.
1: There's one more thing I wanted to mention about this. Um, cause my first thought when I read this question was, uh, about the Elder Scrolls series and Morrowind where mm. there is, you're in the land of the Dark Elves and the Dark Elves have their own religion and it's, they're kind of being semi occupied yeah. by the Imperium, um, or the Empire and they have the Imperial religion. And it's not that either of those is especially uh compelling or interesting to me, but just the fact that there's two of them and they conflict and you can study either of them and you can sort of, you also have like sort of quest lines to go on to sort of basically express that you um want to go on this path immediately makes them more, com- like just feel more real and, and yeah. have more character to them. As soon as there's two religions, any one of those religions has more character and, and meaning to it and, Right. And I suppose to see it through.
0: And I suppose that one also, um, can we, can we formally say that any game where, um, that hangs a lot of its role-playing kind of meat off the question, are you actually the Messiah? It's functionally like a Life of Brian narrative. <laughs> right? So, Dragon Age Inquisition is a Life of Brian narrative, but so is Morrowind. I'm not, I'm, I'm, really <laughs> yeah. I'm not the Messiah, I'm a very naughty boy! I'm not the I'm not the Nerevereen! <laughs> I've stolen all your glass daggers! <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 um, They'll give you the option to not be the Messiah and be a very naughty boy, yeah, exactly, <laughs> or both.
0: I am the Messiah and I'm a naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> i have all read that fan fiction.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, um, to me, that's an, uh, that's an unfortunate thorn in the side of, the, of Morrowind, anyway. Oh, right, like, yeah, I, I don't want it. to be the fucking Messiah. I just want to like want to study these religions. Yeah, yeah, be yeah. A the, the Vivek
0: stuff in Morrowind is fucking great. Hmm. The, the, like, is it the Chronicles or, or the Canticles of Vivek? So the endless, um religious texts of the, the Dunbar. Would it surprise
1: you to learn? I didn't read
0: them. <laughs> oh, man, really I, like
1: I, I fucking punched Vivek himself to death, but I didn't read the books about him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, there's a lot of really good, just sort of evocative, um religious text craft in that game. I believe written by like one developer over the course of like a real long weekend. Um I believe, I think I've read that. That, that might be apocryphal, but yeah.
1: Uh, Is it maybe Ken Ralston?
0: I think so, yeah. Because I
1: remember, I, I think I was reading like an oral history of, was it Morrowind or one of the others? And it, he was sort of talking about like, it, it all came from, the Elder Scrolls universe came from just the D&D campaign that those guys used to run. And he was brought on to be like the world builder who mm. would come and take that to be like, okay, let's flesh it out. And that's actually, you know, Fill in the details. Yeah,
0: right. Which is how all good narrative design starts. <laughs> yep. Very <laughs> <laughs> much is. Um cool. Next question comes from David, um, who writes a long email but with some important insight. Um after I'm gonna summarize a little bit. Um but he starts after hearing in episode 280 how the cutlery controversy has <laughs> driven rivens, driven rivens between our two countries, I thought I would apply my knowledge of corpus linguistics learned at your University of Birmingham, no less, to help calm these transatlantic tensions. So, uh, after consulting the corpus of contemporary American English and the British National Corpus, I found that both American English and British English appear to favour saying knife and fork over fork and knife, although the available evidence shows that Brits are much less likely to say fork and knife, than americans um he then um uh has a few bones to pick with previous uh emailer sam <laughs> about the the prevalence of the phrase fork and knife uh in america and adds that uh fork, knife and fork and fork and knife are both um collocations uh one is a pre- and a prefab we won't get into the details <laughs> <laughs> a thing. We, we can we can keep falling down this cutlery hole that is a thicket <laughs> But we probably shouldn't get into linguistics because uh that is the place beyond pointless arguments <laughs> where house parties end Uh 3 the place m. beyond the
1: tines. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> um, but hopefully, uh, David adds... The fact that we both typically say knife and fork will help us move past this divide and focus on the real issue, people who use a knife and fork to eat pizza. These people have made a category error and should have ordered a calzone instead. <laughs> uh, anyway, my question was actually inspired by a comment Chris made in the same episode about pizza not being worth the price of what went into it. The same complaint is often leveled at games. While many people seem to be content to plunk down $60 or what have you on a AAA game, some games from smaller studios are frequently derided as not being worth the price, even though they cost much less. What are your thoughts on smaller devs pricing their games so that customers feel they're getting their money's worth and the devs get a fair price for the work that they do? How does the wide
1: availability of free games affect this? Keep on podding David. Uh I can talk about the indie game pricing thing, because obviously I think about it a bunch. Um and I I think it's basically reassuring that like Free games exist and also like games that cost one cent exist and bundles mm. exist and all these things have existed for ages. The humble bundle is old now. It's old enough to have been bought up and <laughs> kind of uh, morphed into something else. And it hasn't, it did not kill indie game sales. It didn't mean that you can't charge $15 for your game. Mm. And the thing I keep seeing, and it's, de- it's definitely more true now than it was sort of five or 10 years ago, um, that If your thing is, uh, the like new, if there's buzz around it and people want to play it like right now, um, they will pay for it, even though literally everybody knows it will be one cent at some Mm. point or, you know, and these days that's less true because, um, uh, the humble bundle is less of a thing. There was a time when like every major successful indie game was going to be a humble bundle at some point. Um, now, that's not true but you know it will be 85% off on steam at some point and you will be able like, to super cheap and it doesn't seem to cause a problem it doesn't seem to you know i haven't seen gunpoint sales you know suffer any um uh dip over that kind of thing and it's just the definitely there's an increased burden on you as a developer to make your thing Not just good, but like, oh, you have to play this. Like it's got to be special. And Mm. you know, that's always been somewhat true and it's just getting more and more true. Um, but yeah, there's, there's also this weird sort of delusion, I think around indie game pricing where like, if it's really good and it offers you a lot of stuff, then the developers ought to be allowed to charge a really high price or like developers will say, you know, they'll release their game at $35 or something and it doesn't sell. And they say, well, we had to charge $35 because we put in so much work and we put in so much effort and we deserve to be rewarded for that. And I agree that they, if they did a good job and they put in a lot of work, they deserve to be rewarded for that. But the way you get rewarded for that is just price it at whatever people are willing to pay for it and then you'll make more money. <laughs> like the price per copy is utterly irrelevant. It means nothing. It has no relevance to your reward or your effort or anything like that. What matters is how much money did you make from the game? And did people, like if you made a good game and people buy it and enjoy it, and you priced it such that you get more money out of that, that's being rewarded for your hard work. Like getting $35 per copy is a meaningless accolade. Who cares what you got per copy? All that really matters is, mm. did you make enough to make another game? And uh, it's a, a weird point of pride for some people that they really want to have a super high price on their particular game. And when people are telling you that's too high and they want you to charge less, you would get more rewarded if you charge less. There is a sort of a value association
0: with certain price points that yeah, kicks in. That's almost say. what AAA means. Like <laughs> AAA doesn't mean a lot in terms of budgets, or at least not not, not a consistent amount. The, the most consistent thing it means is $60, 45 quid, really, you know, in terms of what you expect, you know, the money involved to, to be and. and what kind of production values you expect like there's no standard in terms of the length or duration of those games there's no standard in terms of the modes offered or mm. the amount of stuff
2: well yeah like it's a, about- it's a thought experiment like you imagine you know imagine uh, rockstar's next game being released at 12.99 <laughs> like you know you know i i believe your I, I believe yeah, in your you- argument tom like rockstar would probably make as much money on the 12 12- 99 game well i'm not necessarily saying that i don't know if that's well, yeah i mean maybe you know, like, you know possibly that would happen but i think so i think the main reason they price it at 50 60 quid you know is about the prestige that comes with that there's the expectations that sets up you mm. know the relationship i think in that case the they game. they do make more money at that price point probably than they would if they because of the sheer quid. volume yeah because it's one of those games but you know like Days Gone, you know, a game that always seemed to me... i has been quite popular, actually, but a game that seemed to me to be sort of entirely unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the rest of us. <laughs> but if that I got could've... released at 12.99... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yeah. anyway, yes.
0: Yeah, but I know what you mean. I th- well, it feels like... Yeah, there is, a, there is a
1: psychological association with the price point. That...
2: Mm.
0: Like, I mean, I maybe a, a different version of the same example would be if they said... Okay, PlayStation Five. Every game with PlayStation Five is going to be twenty pounds. Like that would be a kind of a weird situation. where it's like, oh, so it's only cheap games?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, so yeah, it, yeah. Oh, so
0: it doesn't have big games on it. And like, no, no, no. Call of Duty on this one is is twenty quid. Oh, so it's, a, oh, it's, that, ju- it's it, the it's just, it's just the battle. It's just the mode. battle Royale mode then, right? Yeah, like mm. it's weird. Yeah. There's, a, there's a there's
1: a cost value sort of. But the, I think thing. No Man's Sky is, was an illuminating case with this because that you know. It literally is an indie game and then it got the attention of a triple a game and, yeah, then it, yeah. and that and then it priced it a triple a game yeah. and then I mean there was a whole lot going into the reaction to no man's Sky. but a common thing I specifically saw was like how how is this sixty dollars this is like in fact even just even before it came out and anyone was at, had yeah. any chance to be disappointed with the actual content uh just when they it was announced to be sixty dollars people were like what It's I just thought this it's was procedural. procedural. yeah
2: it's, they haven't. They haven't made it. And the you know the excitement level <laughs> of that made game it.
1: was insanely high. It was the sort of perceived value of that game was enormous, but because it sort of had indiness about it, people. Some people were outraged that it was going to be sixty dollars. Mm. Yeah.
2: It's as if price isn't real. <laughs> it's just psychology in that.
1: Yeah. In it. (laughs) (laughs) I have released one game at zero dollars, one game at five dollars, one game at ten dollars and one game at fifteen (laughs) dollars. So my next game either has to be twenty dollars or minus five. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't want to call it too soon, but I'm hoping tactical breaches won't be worth minus (laughs) five (laughs) dollars.
2: And that's a little insight into the financial wizardry of Francis.
0: The next question comes from. Uh, Andy, who writes, dear CNC dream team, as you all continue to contemplate the real and significant issues that divide our two great countries, might I add my two cents as a left-handed American, I always use my fork in my left hand, knife in right, understanding that my right-handed friends and family forked with the right hand, but not realizing that until now, thanks to your investigative journalism... (laughs) but they actually did indeed switch hands when presented with both utensils at a meal. I appreciate the ongoing discourse about this issue, and I can hope you can all squeeze another year's worth of <laughs> debate in the matter. Wouldn't be surprised. Uh, your friend and Patreon supporter uh, Andy, aka Butterbeans in Discord, from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, P.S. In the event of a disastrous Brexit, know that you can seek refuge here in Chattanooga, which is only a forty-five minute drive from the Jack Daniel's distillery. Uh, which I've, I've uh, been to the Jack Daniels Distillery. Yeah. In Chattanooga? Uh, it's in Lynchburg, but oh. I imagine that's four to five minutes I, from Chattanooga. Okay. I didn't get drunk there because it's in a dry county. You can't, yeah. you can't sell also booze. That's ironic. Yeah, it is. Yeah.
2: That, <laughs> yeah. that is genuinely. Yeah. <laughs> and completely ironic.
0: Yeah, it is. It's like, uh, I think Alan S. Morris, that's one of the lines in the <laughs> song, the definition of the word irony. Um, yeah, no, I've been there. We did an improv tour in Nashville once and we went to, Go to the place where you can see where the whiskey comes from, but not touch. Actually, you, you can a bit. <laughs> Did you want to touch?
2: I d- well, I'll touch with my mouth. <laughs> oh, drink! You wanted to touch the whiskey with my mouth? What they have these just big pools, and everyone just puts their hands in. I know you. Let want me to just drink touch it. the last of this whiskey with just my. Just the idea of a whiskey tour ending up with everybody just. Putting their hands in yeah. a great big lake of it
0: I was sort of hoping that it would end with me getting, bottled up me getting ushered into like a, a glass elevator by the, the ghost of, <laughs> ghost of Jack Daniels
1: <laughs> and bequeathed, you get no whiskey it. you get nothing yeah, exactly
0: uh, you
1: touched it with your mouth
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, <Grunk-a-lunk-a-dunk-a-dee-dunk-a>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, you think you you think you're Charlie in that scenario, but we're all Augustus Gloop, and we know it. <laughs> um uh, PPS, I do say fork and knife. So this is ooh, <clears throat> oh, isn't the exception oh. that challenges David's rule? Who knows? Does anyone still care? I like the uh, both um, David and actually in their, in their emails indicated that they were Patreon backers, which presumably this is. We've never really done stretch goals, but maybe this is a stretch goal. <laughs> like if you back us <laughs> on Patreon. We will probably continue to talk about cutlery and I don't know how we got onto this. I don't know how we'll ever get off it. I just I, need.
1: I can't believe it's true. Like <laughs> I think I said it because uh, I'd heard it from American friends, but it was just like in a kind of like, surely this can't be right, but I guess it is. Uh. I mean,
0: I think it's like, you know, maybe this feels like a question we've never actually been asked, which is like, what is something that you believe that is just, well, we wouldn't have known until this had happened something that is, genuinely slightly unbelievable yet so inane to be barely <laughs> worth talking about
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> the brilliant thing is it's actually surfaced a second sort of inane fact which is the order that in which people say yeah. Yeah. fork and knife, knife exactly fork. it's
0: like a sort of it's like it's it's like a kind of banal revelation. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like a kind of
2: honestly, I'm. I like, I, especially in the, these days and times, banal revelations are kind of what I need. <laughs> Better yeah. than the other kind.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't really need an earth shattering twist on my understanding of the world right now. I just, just a sort of like, you know, a sort of soft sense of novelty. There's still.
2: I think I'll cling to this as an, as the, as matter <laughs> discovers the the asteroid that's going to end all life on Earth. I think. <laughs> At least I found out more about forks and knives than I ever thought. Yeah. Possibly. Do you want another one? Yeah. Oh, right. Here all. we go. Can we take it.
1: Get ready. Uh, so the meaning of quite seems to be different in America. Like in America, quite oh, yeah. means very, and here it usually means somewhat. But some, like the more I think about it, no, very. Here here you go, Tom,
0: what do any of these words
1: mean? Because they're all very context dependent, right? Yeah. And. Uh, I discovered this context, difference ages ago. And if it was, you're nasty. And it was pretty, uh, uh, shocking to me. But as I thought about it since, like every time the word quite comes up now, I think about this. And actually in, in British English, it's random. It's like 40% of the time we use it to mean very and the other 60% we me- use it to mean not very.
2: Like, yeah, it is a very contextual. But I've. <laughs> no, it's quite contextual. <laughs> I've definitely had emails. That have read quite shockingly, kind of very insultingly. Shocking. How shockingly? <laughs> <laughs> Just for clarity. <laughs> oh, good. Oh. I don't even notice it. It's so good. Um, yeah. That have read very insultingly. I wonder they use of quite. If
1: you, if there's a sentence we can say. This is like the lying gods riddle, where it, <laughs> this might be a sentence where you say, where like it's quite strange to switch hands with your knife and fork <laughs> and this could be like true in English, British English and in American English but with inverted meanings for both things yeah great right. <laughs> yeah it
0: would have to be no it would be it would be it'd have to be it's quite normal yeah to switch hands correct. with your knife and fork during a meal that would be the yeah, kind of <laughs> perfect. that's the perfect storm yeah <sighs> Ah well uh Mary writes, uh, dear crep and cake bar, I'm old enough to remember the time when to play more of a game you loved, you had to buy game number two. Now we're encouraged to supplement each game purchase with other paid enhancements for the best experience. This can get tiresome and expensive. Uh, question, which of these is the most evil? Loot boxes, microtransactions, season passes, and are any of them really necessary? I'm excluding paid DLC since you did used to be able to buy boxed expansions. Uh, supplemental question. What is the delivery mechanism of your choice for cake of the sponge variety? Slice, muffin, cupcake, cake bar, or cake pop? Love listening to your voices. Keep up the good work. Mary. Um, so to the first one, it's loot boxes, obviously, but do we want to talk about them?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess the, the the gambling element of that combined with the paying real money element of that yeah. is pretty uh, damning. Um yeah you can kind of feel that you're making personal decisions about
2: m- all of the others. Yeah the
0: thing is like I to be honest I don't think my I mean th- not to to disagree wholesale but like I think microtransactions is is a category of thing right it's just small amounts of money for a stuff. Yeah so, no, I don't
1: I don't think uh I don't consider them evil in principle. No I think there's there's a case to be
0: made for the fact that we've had, we've had to get used to things that did used to be free or easy to make yourself for a game becoming things that you're expected to purchase, but...
1: Yeah, th- there are some clear-cut cases of that where, like, the thing about, like, I can't remember what game it was, but there was a game where, like, cheats were being charged for, and that's obviously, it used to be completely free. Cosmetic items is, like, it's a thing where, like, maybe in the olden days, if they were in the game, they would be free, but then also they frequently weren't in the game, and now they are much more common in games because you can charge for them, and those just seem very harmless to me. Like it's yeah. it, particularly because that that revenue the developer gets from that makes that game more viable. And so any game that can incorporate that in a way that's not annoying to players and doesn't ruin the experience is probably a positive because it's make it's meaning those developers can actually make that game and make it more viable mm-hmm. in the long run.
2: It's kind of really good in many ways that you have such a game like Fortnite, which is so or all, all kind of conquering but has you know as far as i understand a very fair and you know generally liked um, monetization since it got
0: wholesale from dota yeah
2: yeah well yeah <laughs> totally yeah yeah and which mm. is you know with the model which is kind of people seem to spend like a fair amount of money in it you know yeah, I think- as in like i've had quite a few conversations with with mostly parents of sort of young teenage kids who have been playing Fortnite, And they sort of say, yeah, we've probably spent about 50 quid in it, which seems a good (laughs) amount of money for the amount of enjoyment. They seem to get out of the game. And (laughs) like, yeah, that sounds good.
0: Yeah. I think, I think the battle pass system, which is not quite the same as the season pass, because the season pass could very much be the sort of battlefield extra 40 quid, please for maps over the next six months kind of thing. Battle Pass system, I think, is a, a pretty good, um, way of making sense of a free-to-play game, making value out of a free-to-play game, because it's got the comfort level of it's pretty much a one-off purchase. Mm. Um, but it is still nonetheless a purchase that players will feel they kind of need to get in on in order to, to see and do everything, which is...
2: And it's a sort of balance between a need, you know, to be involved with the game and all that stuff, but also to feel good about doing it, because in, you know, it, a relationship with the game and like
0: yeah right yeah it's, it's, it's both effective marketing but also I think a, a good negotiation of the challenge that all free to play games face yeah. which is getting that money out of people without, yeah. without doing a big old evil <laughs> all over the floor um,
2: as to the second part
0: yes uh, as to the second part cake delivery any thoughts on this what is
2: like I think we need to clarify think- the the, the functional difference between muffin and cupcake here?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I don't it feels consider essential uh, to me. But I don't consider a muffin to be a delivery mechanism for cake. <laughs> I consider a muffin to be its own entity that has cake-like qualities. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. I, I should. My yes, wife like actually it. makes cakes for a living, and I should probably know. I should be able to. Would you like to write into the podcast? Or have uh, I'll, I'll, have I'll have to. do <laughs> this. Yeah,
0: right. I mean, it could. A muffin feels like like a dire cupcake, not in, like a, not in a qualitative sense, in a Dungeons and Dragons sense. You know what I mean? It's big, fruity. It's bigger. It's bigger. It's more robust, like a dire wolf. It's fruity.
1: Yeah. It's like it's, it's it's of a different threat level. <laughs>
0: one of yeah. them is one of them is fauna. One of them is beast.
2: <laughs> you know. I don't no. like I don't like cake pops. I do.
1: He- I my <laughs> only experience of cake pops is at discourse <laughs> okay. is on fire. In <laughs> uh, it was at a Blizzard event, like at Blizzard HQ in um uh, where is it Anaheim? Yeah. Um, mm and it was a i think it was a diablo 3 preview event it was the one where they announced a the real money auction house and fucking hell did you whoop <laughs> no <laughs> um, it was private like it was you know behind closed doors sessions and then i was one of the people reporting on it and uh uh i fucking said all the things to them like hey doesn't this totally undermine the whole concept of randomized loot and they gave their justifications and then yeah, yeah, <laughs> But they had really good cake pops.
3: <laughs> with like
1: with some kind of Diablo symbol on it. It was I can't remember if it was a pentagram or something like that, but they were like custom Diablo cake pops. And I yeah, I was surprised at like they were both somehow dense and yet not dry. <laughs> and yeah, delicious. Excellent. I've no say- complaints about them. If I was tasked with reporting on the cake pops, it would have been a much more positive article.
3: <laughs>
1: um given Given that muffin was in this list,
0: I would go with muffin, personally.
2: Muffin um, is my favourite of the list. Really? Yeah. Really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: But muffin has no icing and all the other that's I don't like icing. I don't, it's I don't, too I'm sweet. Not, I'm what? not big on icing <laughs> it?
1: It's too sweet. Yeah. But you have, that's why you have the cake to balance it out.
2: <laughs> but with muffin, you get the nice stodgy, I mean, I genuinely, that, that is, I love a bit of stodge. Mm, same. And you get a nice bit of fruit.
0: Yeah. Or, I mean, or chocolate. Or it might not be, yeah. Or, you know, any, whatever
1: else is in the muffin. Yeah. Not, How fruity yeah. is your muffin? <laughs> I do, I, like Ooh, I do like a
2: blueberry muffin. Me
1: too. Oh, I do like a blueberry muffin. Maybe the muffins I've had have not had enough fruit in them because they've been pretty just fucking sponge. <laughs> 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 kind of dry uh, after a fashion. Oh,
2: I mean, the sponge is not itself dry, liked.
1: but there's just a lot of it with nothing to counterbalance. And I feel like the icing counterbalances the sponge in, in other cake products. You've,
2: I don't think you I don't know, I, it, feel like I like mean, it. the
1: cake pop, pop is actually the highest icing to sponge ratio And that's probably, might be why I like it.
0: Mm. Yeah, for me. Yeah.
1: Like a cupcake just makes me want another
0: cupcake. Whereas like when I was a, when I was a kid, my mum used to come back from Costco with these like fucking like catering sized mega muffins (laughs) and like one of them, that's, that's a treat that lasts an afternoon. How big is a catering sized mega muffin? I don't know. I was a child at the time. So
3: So
1: it seemed larger. (laughs)
0: You know I just i like think think of a muffin and then I don't know double it like <laughs> it was yeah like a greater dire cupcake <laughs> <laughs> like c r ten or something I don't know um <laughs> you just see question marks when you try to figure out what level it is <laughs> um otherwise, slice for me hate to be normal,
2: yeah.
1: But. Yeah, I love to be normal orthodox cake choice <laughs> lads if you guys don't like icing you must hate the filling of a cake like the middle bit
0: I don't mind that I, I mean I'm not totally
1: anti-icing I, just, <laughs> it's not... I don't know I heard some pretty strong anti-icing rhetoric
2: <laughs> earlier
0: it's just not the purpose of the exercise for me Ah, uh, for me it is
2: the purpose <laughs> <laughs> but I see I, it's just that I see icing being made you know and I know it's, I see icing yes so you got buttercream do you like buttercream? That's the filling, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Or sometimes it's on the outside as well. I mean,
1: the words are so good; it's hard to argue with it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's sugar, right? Mm-hmm. And and butter. Yep. And I mean, <laughs> like, do you want to just to have like a big? It's just loads of butter. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> You don't need to continue that sentence,
0: Tom. I know it is a sentence.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And this is actually, if anything, the shortcoming of cakes I often feel is if you look at the pile of ingredients, you kind of think, could I have that instead? Like (laughs) a big pile of sugar and butter? That's the most indulgent, glorious thing I could have. I would need only half that amount. I could eat just half the sugar and butter by itself, have none of the flour. That would satisfy me a lot more than the final finished cake.
2: (laughs) Okay. Just have a big bowl of buttercream. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've really learned something <laughs> today. Didn't expect this one to be so controversial. Yeah.
0: Um Well, it wasn't. It was just the well, Alex for and us to have very different opinions. Yes, right. Yeah. We yeah. We're, we're normally on the same page about things, but apparently, icing—that's where it ends the <laughs> um
3: And
0: for Americans, we mean frosting. Yeah. Right. Final question um comes from Marsh of all people. Yay. Imagine. Marsh. Imagine if you has will.
2: Scuttled out of his cave.
0: Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do in the Marsh voice. Yeah, please do. I, I'm not because actually there's, I feel like there's more mileage in, uh, in, in Marsh's actual writing. And if I were, if I were to <laughs> yeah. squeak over it, then I would be doing him two injustices at the same time. <laughs> um, which is below the par. <laughs> uh, dears. Marsh writes, I love a good palette swap. I even get a hit of endorphins when I drag the hue slider around on my own <laughs> shitty art. Probably because of the association with reaching a new zone in a NES game. Swap a blue for a yellow, and suddenly a cold steel wall has become a sun-bleached slab of stone, and the world entirely thrillingly new. What are the simplest, cheapest tricks that game devs can pull for the maximum effect? Sordid asp, death wav
1: <laughs> 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 and, uh, and, uh marsh <laughs> it would be good if every letter ended with a kind of <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: please sign off with your favorite ascension yeah. sound effect <laughs> yeah, no, ascension all sound your favorite effect. death noise I, I, yeah. I
0: like I, I do like the sound when you uh, destroy slash recruit uh samuel where it's the uh, sort of like a very very compressed which is either someone laughing or someone choking (laughs) impossible to tell it is a stodgy muffin. Uh, what was the question? Uh, game dev tips and tricks. One weird yeah. trick, Tom. Come Francis on, what's hates weird, it. one
2: weird trick.
1: Well, um, obviously I don't engage in this kind of cheapness myself. Uh, <laughs> leave that to John. <laughs> um, but I did, I watched the, a good GDC talk by the Path of Exile folks, um, recently, and they were talking about just how they, they release an expansion every 13 weeks, pretty much without fail, um, and have done for ages. And have plans to do so for 10 more years, <laughs> if oh, you can believe no. that. And they, they just, like, they've got good at it, basically. And they say one of the things that surprises them with other developers is, like, they think you should never do a day-night cycle in your in your game if you're going to do this kind of ongoing content. Because, A, I mean, it doesn't really add that much. And then, B, if you don't, you can take those same assets... Change the lighting, change the color grading, and then make that the setting for your new expansion. They basically showed some side by side shots of like, um it wasn't as simple as that. It was like, here's I don't know, some nice grassland with some rocks and stuff, and here's our hell zone, which and they basically showed the same geometry, just put through these different filters and different lighting things, mm. and it generally does look like a totally different area. And yeah, you can I think like the thing Marsh is saying is is true, which is like it is we can talk about it as cheap in a sense, but it really does work. Like it, the colors have a strong emotional effect and the sense of like new content, I guess it's it's by itself, it would be empty, right? But if you combine it with new mechanics, then that's all you need basically. And uh, like you want it to both function differently and to feel different. And neither part of that requires you to make a whole new load of really intricate 3d assets like that isn't actually the kind of the thing that triggers the content signal in your brain <laughs> which is i mean that's what these guys have to think about day mm. in day out is like how do we make this feel like content we gonna have to release some stuff that that yeah. it's got to scratch that itch and there's a bar for that and if you drop below it you're just rehashing what you already have they also had an example where like they showed uh like a flying kind of bat type enemy and some kind of humanoid enemy and then they showed like a kind of like uh not a candelabra. What's it called? Where like a, a sort of metal stick comes up from the ground, and there's candles like on top. A brazier. Of it. No? Yeah, perhaps a torch. Um, it's just like can like a candlestick that's very tall. <laughs> something like that. Candelabra. Yeah, maybe it is. Was that something? Ultimate exciting? candle. Um, and they basically just took that model and just plugged it into the rig for this flying enemy and for this humanoid enemy and like I don't know if you've ever taken a model and put it into the wrong rig but it it goes insane uh but if it's like a weird metal thing you end up with this kind of cool like skeletal metal creature that has all the same animations as the flying enemy but it's made of a (laughs) candelabra and that was basically their enemy set for one of their expansions it's just like we just kind of took these metal things and just plugged them into our humanoid and to our (laughs) organic frames and they all just look like this cool weird metal enemies (laughs) That's what they did, <laughs> and obviously they had new mechanics and stuff, so the players <laughs> were happy because they were actually having to overcome a new challenge and there was new gameplay. Um, but yeah, the, the burden for creating new assets is actually lower than you might think. Hmm. Alex is shaking his head.
2: <laughs> I, I've been racking my. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, me too.
2: Because I'm thinking of I'm I, I, in, in the my uh, column for RPS, which is up on blocks of the moment. What I work on this book, but um. Uh, I'm sure I've written loads of little <laughs> like little things like this, and I've completely blanked on. Didn't Mortal Kombat do this? I
1: heard someone say recently that like there's State. a bunch of I, I think like Sub Zero and Scorpion, yeah and, yeah, yeah, and then
2: I think yeah, like right. eight
1: more of those
2: people because <laughs> it's just like the same tabard. It's just a, a differently coloured tabard.
1: Mm. <laughs> mm.
0: I think I'm trying to think about the things that I find very effective when they change that make me feel like I'm, I mean a whole new place, but actually I think a lot of them are probably fairly labor intensive. Like just changing the, the, the font or the coloring of a UI is often mm. enough to make me go like, Oh wow, you've changed everything. Yeah. Like if my active abilities used to be green and now they're orange, <laughs> like I know it's just color again, but it's like, Oh wow, you must have changed everything about how my character works. And this ability feels better now, I think. <laughs> and, well, it's more responsive and yeah you have improved the frame rate and no it's <laughs> it's just orange now i think i think yeah i think when you talk about that new content trigger i think that's almost the key thing it's like whatever it takes to um well apparently it apparently doesn't take very much to trigger that sort of like everything's new feeling yeah well there's also you know, sort of you,
2: withholding yeah. like mentioned uh uh animal crossing earlier on but the way that it just withholds stuff from you and mm. then when you finally get it it's really not very much different to what (laughs) but the fact you've waited a week for it to appear then you oh this is
0: the best yeah evaluating yeah Yeah. i
2: I think that any game that can kind of signal a future kind of reward in that way and then kind of really make you wait for it i think that's really how do they signal it to you um it's just the like every week there's a certain market every day the shop. Okay. Stuff changes. This is for buying kind of furniture and sets and that sort of thing for your house. And then every week there's, I think there's a some sort of trader that comes. So, you know, that's two little ticking systems that mm. you're kind of waiting on. Mm. Treat them mean, basically. The players, treat them mean.
0: And that's all of the questions and insight we have time for. <laughs> if you'd like to send us an email for a future episode of the podcast, you can do so by emailing us at questions at Creighton Crowbar.com. You can also tweet us at Creighton Crowbar. You can find our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. And thank you as ever to our Patreon backers whose uh, support is very much appreciated. More about that, patreon.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. We have a lovely Discord community mentioned several times already this episode. Um uh, <clears throat> just gonna my voice is squeaking in a weird way.
3: <laughs>
0: <clears throat> Find a link to Discord in the show notes or on our website at com. If you would like to follow us around on the internet as individuals, um, you can, that, that I, I've, I've said that as individuals like 150 times. And I just realized it's redundant. <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter at C Thurston. That's C T H U I S T E N. Tom, as a gestalt entity, is uh, at Pentadact,
2: P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. I'm going to buck the trend a little bit. I'm going to point towards my website,
3: <laughs> Ooh, which I
2: also don't update. Okay. <laughs> That's just <our> rotational. <laughs> so what was, the, was the purpose of doing this so you didn't have to spell the thing you can never spell? <laughs> no, that, was, that wasn't that was the intention, but I wish it could have been part of it. It's rotational.co.uk, R-O-T-A-T-I-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N-O-N- Oh, fine God! So close. It's rotational.
0: Everyone knows how to spell. <laughs> Just rotation and then owl. Rotating owl. Rotating owl. But it's not that. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't do <write> that. <laughs> don't do that. It's a great way to, you need to register it, Except that. that it doesn't. You need you to right. register that. Because well, someone else is going to do it for you very soon. You're it might it right be now. me I'm doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. everybody.